Hello, and thank you for staying with me on the podcast, Chrissy. My name is Chrissy, no surprise. And today we start off season two of the podcast, and it's called Nostalgia. Thank you to everyone who stayed with me throughout season one, which was Safe Spaces. Of course, every now and again, when I have relevant content, I will be posting up on season one as well. Now, to kick this off, we take an interview from the year 2017. It's actually the 1st of October 2017. So celebrating the 57th independence anniversary of Nigeria, my colleague and I, Caleb, had the privilege of interviewing the Most Reverend Dr. Benjamin Ben Argak Kwashi of the Anglican Diocese of Jos. Now, that's an interview I've always looked back on fondly and I will share with you as the start of this nostalgic season. Of course, I just might have a surprise lined up for you at the end of this year's Independence Anniversary celebrations, uh, but you will have to wait to find out. For now, here's a recap of that interview in 2017. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Please don't forget to stay in touch. I'm on Twitter at Chrissy Pearlie. That's at K-R-I-S-S-Y-P-E-A-R-L-I-E. You can also find Safe Spaces at Safe Talks 2. That's at Safe Talks 2, the figure, on Facebook. And of course, you know, I'm always happy to hear from you via voice notes or messages. And I will be incorporating these into subsequent podcasts. So on with it. A walk down memory lane, 2017, Nigeria's 57th independence anniversary. Letters, and they were not stolen. And if you had a telegram or you had something to clear at the post office, my father would send me with his ID card, and I went and cleared them in the post office. I saw um, the telephones you could go and book in the post office. And you made phone calls abroad or to Lagos or wherever. Um, I grew up in a Nigeria that was very, very um, upbeat about character um, and honesty. Uh, when I passed my exam to go to military school, some sergeant on an army motorbike came to St. Luke's Primary School. And um, they, 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 the headmaster called me. And I went and I signed some documents. And those documents were processed. And the sergeant walked away. And my headmaster gave me documents that I had to go and give to my father. Within that document was also my, my warrant to travel by rail from Jos to Kaduna and from Kaduna to Zaria. It was paid for. My father didn't know the commandant military school. My father didn't even know where military school was. Yeah. And I finished my secondary education and my future was well planned to join the army, to go to the university, to go to the academy, or anything. You didn't have to know anybody. I remember in 1975, I applied to Benin University. The registrar wrote back in ink to thank me for applying to Benin University. Good so times. Before my eyes, I am seeing a nation that simply allowed goodness to slip through its fingers. Okay. And, and it's, it's, it's very painful because it's deliberate, it's intentional. My father didn't pay a dime in military school. Rather, believe it or not, I was paid. From one, we got one pound. From two, we got one pound five. From two, from three, we got one pound ten. And from one, five, we got five pounds five. And because I was a corporal, I got ten shillings extra. <laughs> and then okay. if you travel during any holiday, the army paid for you to go home. 
by four pence a mile. So you had a lot of money. My father didn't have to bother. You could have been an orphan. You could have had all your parents in existence. But once you got into military school, the government took over your well-being. Yeah. And then you joined the army and got a career. So anything that's happened to Nigeria is purely intentional. Recklessness of people who had the opportunity to have made this nation great, but didn't. Okay. I was just going to ask you, how much of our problem would you say is the lack of good governance and how much of our problem would you say is with the Constitution? Now, when you talk about good governance, it's too generic for me. I think we should identify it as the people in governance who lack vision. Okay. They, they're just thinking about themselves, their <clears throat> family, their clan, uh, and, and sometimes their tribe, if, if that is it at all. The, so good governance is completely, is, is too wide. Okay. I think over the years, from the military days, I think that these things began to slip from our fingers from 1975. 1975. Because I, I, I belong to that generation that saw the good days in 1975. And from that point on, things began to change little by little okay. to where we are now. Yeah. So what's your take on devolution of powers and, and restructuring? I think that the politicians have succeeded in confusing us. The idea of the devolution of powers um, was the first crisis Nigeria had uh, from 1966. Okay. Because at that point, the... The, 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 the constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria brought the regions into the center. Yeah. Uh, and, and so while it suited those who had powers okay. up, to, up to then or up to now, uh, it was okay. But once it became unsuitable, then we now are asking for devolution of powers. So are we asking for regional devolution or we're asking for each state's devolution of powers and restructuring of those things that are on the um, no-go list of the Federal Republic of Nigeria uh, and the concurrent lists to review them and do that. If that is the case, 2004 conference did that. 2014 conference has looked into that. Okay. So what are we really calling for now? And I don't want us to get confused. I looked at 2014 conference book. It looks okay. Uh, if that is what we're looking for, then I think that the House of Assemblies and, and the Senate and the Federal Republic um, representatives should look into that and produce for us uh, and pass them. The ones that we can, we should. The ones that we cannot, we throw away. In, in just one word, before Christy asks you her question, do you, in just one word, do you agree that Nigeria performed better under the regional governments that, that we had then? It's all, um, I think that it's... Mm, I, <laughs> You see, the regional governments were competitive governments. Yeah. All right? Okay. But it is not to say that they performed better because the issues we are now grappling with of um, people being marginalized, of people being uh, left behind, they were there in the regions okay. and would have emerged now if, if, nonetheless. But because the larger group had a sense of running it and it was a baby nation okay it didn't appear much so i cannot say that the regional governments ran better um in some things they ran better absolutely so okay uh but in in everything i think that the issues of marginalization bigger tribes suppressing the smaller ones and so on those crises were already 
there waiting to happen. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. I'm um, talking about the regions. I like the fact, though, that you allude to you know you allude to the fact that um, it was a competitive system. So you had the north. It was, you know, Amadou Bello clearly running for the interests of the north. You had Awolowo clearly doing his thing for for the people in the in the southwest. Um, you know, some would say that maybe that was a more productive way to do it than when we had after 66 and we had the trouble with the military coup and uh, Agui Ronsi had to try to hold everything together by force, so to speak. Um, and every everyone else who came after him when we discovered oil just realized, okay, it makes more sense to just keep, you know, just keep this thing going in the interest of, of the class that you spoke of, the ruling class. I like I liked also the fact the way you started when you talked about your pre ninety uh, seventy five days. You know you you talk about it, and I can almost imagine what it was like because we hear stories from our parents, uh, what it was like when they went to school, what it was like when they were in university, and how how different things uh, were at the time. Hmm. Some people have argued though that. Um, you know, we can't really make that comparison at the moment because, for one, we haven't expanded our economy to suit us in such a manner that we can replicate the same. We had a population that was four times less at, at the time. We had, a, what, a 4.5 million, I'm sorry, that's about 45 million people at the time. We're talking about 180 million people in Nigeria now. So we don't have the same resources to cater for everyone at the same level. That's not correct. Well, th that's, that's an that's, argument that's that some people No, no, it's not correct. It's simply vision. Yeah. It's simply vision. I mean, Plateau State had its electricity running here from 1928 until it was impounded in 1976 and brought down. Now, why do that? When you had a system that was running, electricity was running. It was working. Why, why put it back and take it to federal? The competition died. Plateau State had its own university. Suddenly it's become a federal university. It's not working. And there are so many federal universities, they're not working. So if we are going to look at that, it is a question of people who had vision. And what I see from 75 to now is that if you had a vision and you were running with your vision as a Nigerian in your own state, you were run down. Yeah. You were brought down. Lagos has refused. And I have a suspicion Rivers and Anambra are refusing. And they're going to go. And that's the way it should be. Every unit state should look for its best leaders. Who will make their state great? But as it is now, we're having mediocres who are copying what is wrong and are bringing it to their states, and each state is falling apart. It's not working. So the competitiveness that I saw when I was growing up was brilliant. I mean, Sadona didn't have a university. He made it happen in one year. He didn't have a stadium. He made it happen in one year. Um, um, Plato, I want to remember the name of that time at that time. They, 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 he, he supported them all through. He didn't have enough schools. He called missionaries, he called voluntary agencies, gave them money, asked them to start schools all over. Now you start schools, they are trying to close it down. They are trying to, they are trying to sap everything from you. So it's no longer competitiveness, it is visionlessness. So if we were 45 million, just as today we now know, that by 2030 will be 200 million or 200 and something million. We should start planning. So if we were 45 million in 1975, actually 60 million in 1975, we should have known that people my age at that time were going to get, get married and will have 10 children. Yeah. Because in my time, <clears throat> that was the show, to have many children. So you project and then you plan. 
and then you make sure your borders worked well and then you make sure your security worked well it is as simple as planning who are the Nigerians? Who lived in this town? Who lived in that place? Who are to go to school? Where are the children of this ones going to go to school? And then you plan all of those for 100 million. Then another set of leadership that will take over will also plan for 120, for 150. So it's a question of planning. But listen also, at the time that we were growing up, the money was not as much. A barrel of a dollar went for two naira. Right. Oh, there's also the question of value as well. There's a question of value. That's true, true. But it was the recklessness of a visionless people who were told by foreigners and they bought foreign ideas and started importing when we could have been a producing nation now. And we just went away. We didn't have people who cared about Nigeria. You remember the, the popular uh, uh, quotes about not money not being the problem and how to spend it exactly. at some point. <laughs> yeah, that was it. It was funny. Um, marginalization, which is something which is coming closer to to the present situation we're in. We have trouble with insecurity. Uh, we have now issues around IPOB. You know, we were still trying to grapple with Boko Haram. Then we have issue of of you know unknown gunmen, herdsmen, whatever you choose to call them. Uh, but one one big issue that's taken the center stage in recent time is this issue of marginalization. Now, we've been talking about, you know, we've been counting down to this day all week. And one thing one of our guests said uh, when we were, we were talking to a former governorship uh, aspirant in Benway State during the week, one thing he said that struck me is, why is it such an issue when we're talking marginalization for three major ethnic groups in Nigeria? He said, I'm a thief man. I don't think I'm ever going to see a TIF president in Nigeria, you know, but I'm not taking up arms and I'm not making a big deal out of it. So, I mean, what do you think the root cause is of this um, issue when it comes to marginalization, whether economic marginalization or social marginalization or political marginalization? Where is this coming from? Um, I think that, um, the, again, lack of vision. Various leaders um, develop their own narratives and sell it to their people to gain political grounds. And um, I have said before now, out of conviction, that Nigeria is fast becoming one single criminal state. Because in every crime, if it does not get punished, there are other criminals who are going to improve on that crime. <laughs> and over time in Nigeria, criminals have not been punished. I said it in 1987 when a bunch of young men in their hundreds burnt down 115 churches. Not a single arrest was done. Nothing was done with houses, with people, with a few people killed. At that time, there were no guns. So you can imagine young men who, let us say, were about 10 to 14 years burning 100 churches. Nothing done. Fast forward 10 years. They are now 24. What do you think they will do? And we're talking about two, the year 1998. Of course, they would kill. And killing soon became a sport. And they were not arrested. Hi, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. By 1998, the number of killings was now in thousands, just thousands out of a beauty pageant contest or some Danish cartoon or some bombing somewhere. People just rise up in arms and criminals are not arrested. And then it became a, 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 a Fulani cattle issue. 
And I remember mentioning the same thing in 2004 in Shandam when some Fulani men were said to have killed people in the church in retaliation for their missing cows. And the question is, isn't it the duty of the police to arrest the thieves? Were the thieves in the church? Those people were not arrested, were not brought to book till date until it improved to Fulani herdsmen to unknown gunmen, then suddenly nobody now knows who is killing who. So in the light of that, with so many people dying in Kano, in Zaria, in Maiduguri, and so on, people feeling insecure will also use criminal methods because crime in Nigeria is not it's being easy to get away It's with. easy to get away with. And what do we see with the political class themselves? They rush to become political leaders so that they can break the law. They have the police in their hands, they have security in their hands, and they can pay the lawyers. So even they are political leaders covering up for their crimes and for their people who can cover it. So if you are a big man in Nigeria, you can get away with anything. And once that is the case, somebody will always find an excuse. And believe me, it is not only IPOP. It is going to go around this country as long as this kind of state continues. All right, I was just going to ask you, because um, I'm just taking you further based on what you just said. I remember after a bomb blast killed about 40 Muslim um, school children in Yubi, you were one of the first, first people to come out. You released a statement strongly criticizing the idea that Boko Haram is a result of poverty and a lack of education. Now, you also said that it is important that issues of poverty, corruption, and extremist violence should, should not be confused. Now, my question is, in Nigeria, religion is taken extremely seriously, but we see that it's been used by some to cause divisions and prompt violence. How then do we use religion to profile development and advancement of this great country, Nigeria? No, religion is not taken seriously. Not at all. Nigeria is the most um, poorly religionized country. Okay. Because I don't understand how a Christian will steal. I don't know. I've never, I, I actually was converted. So I don't understand a Christian thief or a Christian liar. Did you just say you were converted? Yes, I was converted. At first, what religion were you practicing? I was a church-going Christian, but I never knew that when you accept Jesus Christ, that it creates such a remarkable difference okay. between telling lies and telling the truth, okay. between stealing and cheating between fighting and living in peace. So I don't understand a Christianity where these kinds of vices still go on and you say you're a Christian okay. or an Islam for that matter because that was not what we saw in my growing days. So really when you say that we take religion seriously, I don't think so. I think that we use religion seriously, not take <laughs> religion seriously. Okay. Because no religious person who takes religion seriously will advocate the destruction of his town. Mm. I mean, your town, your school, your own people. If you say you're from Plateau State and you want to destroy Plateau State in the name of religion, you're not from Plateau State. You are a foreigner. Mm. You are a rogue. You are a criminal. Yeah. You are a murderer. So it's not religion. Now, having said that, I want, I want to buttress that point by saying that look at the, the young men who do these things. The ones that were arrested in Bauchi Road, in, um, in um, Abuja Road. Just look at them. Look at how wretched they were looking. They live in the wild, in forests. No matter how much they make, they are living in the forest. No electricity, nothing good to live for. Would you say that is religion? I don't think so. Somebody has deceived them and is funding them. And somebody sitting comfortably somewhere 
is providing for them all they need to perfect their crime because those guns are imported. Hmm. Those guns oh, we've are seen not a lot cheap. Of we've seen a lot of impo illegal imports in the last uh, couple of weeks, haven't we? The customs, uh, somewhere yes. over to the... Yeah. Yes. So, so we are seeing arms come into the country illegally. Somebody is doing it. Yeah. Somebody very educated, somebody very wealthy, who knows that crime is not taken seriously in Nigeria and he is the person of influence. Hmm. And I bet you, because it's not the first time, some years back, 18 crates of arms was arrested in Kano. Any news? No. No. <laughs> a whole shipload from Iran was arrested in Lagos. Any news? Mm -hmm. One or two businessmen with one Iranian were arrested. They have been freed. They are not arrested anywhere. A whole cargo load of, of armaments landed Lagos, was arrested. Um, Saudi Air, I think. And um, no news. So only God knows who has been importing until now that we have one Colonel Ahmed Ali who is now not letting it go. But even then, only God knows how many have slipped away from his fingers. Yeah, of course. Um, sorry, I was going to go back to uh, your comments from 2014 and how you, you tried to separate. You, you said, well, personally, you, you don't think people should confuse the issue of corruption and poverty uh, and, you know, and extremism, violent extremism. Um, I mean, how would you separate these three in such a way that the average person understands? Because generally, people tend to think... Poverty has, a, or violent extremism has a lot to do with poverty. Um, and of course, corruption is always everywhere when you're talking about pretty much anything in Nigeria. But I, it would have been interesting for me to understand what you were thinking when you made those comments. Number one, I have lived a love in, uh, long enough in this country to say that um, I'm yet to hear any government honor anybody for honesty. And if you want to stop corruption, that's the one way to do it. Okay. To highlight honest people, to encourage them, and more people will become honest. But we're seeing corrupt people exalted. receiving exalted and so on. Now, those corrupt people, you don't know how much corrupt their minds are. So they are the ones who are saying the result of this crisis is because of poverty. That is not true. Poverty does not send you to become a criminal. It is not true true i work with the poor and i know it poor people hate crime they just want their daily bread and sleep in peace let the thieves sleep steal their millions the poor people just want their peace they are very happy to look after their small farms to feed their families with the arms that they make and to be sure that they are secure they are the majority they are not criminals for goodness sake these criminals are as a result of the carelessness of our governments who do not take seriously the punishment of crime. There are young people in the streets who if they had their way, they will not be criminals. But once you leave them and nobody's taking care of them, no school, no fallback, nothing to care for them at all, there are people ready to use them. And drugs are so cheap now in Nigeria that these young kids, believe me, as young as 16, they are already addicts. They can stab anybody without thinking twice. They can snatch your bag and do anything. And there are so, so many of them. We're talking of not less than 10 million in this country of such kids. Okay. I was just going to take you back to population control. Now, we have a budget of $20 billion a year in this country. Now, we are about 180 million people today. At Independence, we're just 45 million. 
Well, actually, he, depending on where you get the estimates, uh, he says about 50 to 60 million. No, no, no. He, he was talking of, of later um, in 1975. Um, okay. I'm, I'm talking 1960. Mm. What is your take on the exponential put, um, growth, population growth we're seeing in the country today? You know, we, we just got out of recession and it was said that if population control is not if population control is not implemented mm. we're still there's still that high tendency that we're going to fall back into into recession because of, of of the fact that number one we still have the same potentials we still have the same resources that we had at that time nothing has changed so what's your take on population control but you know just to add to that um it's ac actually an either or type situation so it's either we find a way to, to curb population growth or we find a way to grow the economy in, at, at such a rate that will cater for, for the rate at which we're growing as a people. So it, it, actually, it's not really cast in stone. It's one or the other. Okay. You're, right, you're right in that thinking, but I want to throw it back in another way because I, I, I think that I have high regards for the civil servants of 1960 up to 1975. There was... Uh, People like Adebayo Jijiji who are in charge of planning. They planned our future. Mm. They knew we were going to be born in the 50s. They were young too. And they planned who goes to school. And I know people my age never applied for a job. As soon as you finish secondary school, a job was waiting for you. UAC, UTC, Kingsway, Chalorams, name it. They were all there. And your salary immediately was 18 pounds, 10 shillings with a bicycle allowance, with a house rent. Mm. All of those were planned. So it's not a question of population control. If we do not have the people who care about Nigeria, who are willing to take the monies given to them to sincerely budget in the fear of God for the future of people, believe me, it won't be long. Those who run from this country will definitely run. Just before we open up the phone lines, uh, you started off also talking about uh, your concerns going forward, uh, the future of Nigeria. And, you know, you, you said one of the things you think about is what have I laid down for societal cohesion uh, to make sure that everything is okay when I'm not here? What have I done in my time to make things better? Go going forward as a country, what state of mind do you think would be required to deal with the issues we have today? to get over the demons of the past and, and to, to move, you know, somewhere closer to, you know, that, that place you were when you were being nostalgic and talking about pre-75. Yeah. How do you think we can get there? Uh, we could get there by getting honest men to go into politics. I think that what we have done in the last 15 years is that people who should be in politics have been discouraged from going into politics. They've been told you don't have money or politics is very dirty, is full of dishonest people and so on. True that may be, but we'll continue to be spectators and there's no other way than to get into politics. Everybody must use his voter's card to get into politics to change this system. And particularly, each state must look for how its own survival will come about. God is not going to ask me our federal government of Nigeria. God is going to ask me our plateau state where I am. So each state must learn to look for credible people who can manage its resources for the benefit, general benefit of its people. Now, that is what is lacking. And so when I sit down and look back as a priest, and I look at the people I'm training, I'm looking at the future of their children. I'm not even looking at the people right now with me. I'm looking at the future of their children, of their education, of their schools. That is what is eating me up. And I'm praying to God that God will raise politicians 
who will think that way? Unfortunately not. Because we are being told that uh, PDP ruled for 16 years and it was rotten 16 years. But believe me, the same people who are saying that were in PDP for 16 years only changed vestments for a few months and started accusing PDP. Now, if you don't reason very well, you'll be deceived to think that the problem... No, the same people are just changing rooms. <laughs> and they're just changing rooms for the benefit of themselves, not the benefit of those people. So we must see clearly and now begin to think, what will happen to my grandchild so that we can vote correctly and be part of the decision-making of who gets into which office? And we must do that without fear. Then we can look at the future. Only then can we look at the future and say, yes, we can leave because the future is going to be good for our children. So we're still in the studio with Most Reverend Dr. Benjamin Agakwashi. He's Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Jos and the Archbishop of the Ecclesiastical Province of Jos in the Church of Nigeria. If you want to be a part of the conversation, now is the time to do it. The number to call is 090-5566-6699. That's 090-5566-6699. 99 or 090-988-488-48. The time is now 4.37 p.m. Let's talk. Hello, my name is Chrissy. Welcome to season two of the podcast, Chrissy. This season is titled Nostalgia. Good evening. Hello, good evening. Sorry, your name is? Kumex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, come on. You can go on. Go on. We're listening. Okay. Good evening, and good evening, and Christy. Good evening, Caleb, and happy independence to you. And also, good evening to my Lord Bishop. Thank you. Yeah, with you. Thank you. Good evening. I just want to appreciate people for such a program. It's quite enlightening. I just I have two questions to ask, but before I just and just want to say one thing. Mm. So I want to ask the bishop here to what extent do you think Nigeria has lived up to its emblem in the past 57 years? Then the second question I also have to ask is, and using an case study, because if we talk about population, we also must talk about uh, people who are in charge of population height, mm. being able to develop their country. So my question is, can we use China as a standard to of a positive and population growth with good economic strategy. These are my questions. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. You have another caller. Hello? Are you still there? Yes, I'm still there. Uh, hi, right. good afternoon. Good afternoon. Happy Independence to you all. Happy Independence Day to you. I'm very grateful to hear the clergyman speaking. I never know that you will be a fascist. Okay. Thank you. Bishop, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. All right, thank you. All you have to do is please right. turn off your radio once you get through on the phone. Thank you. Hello? Hello. Hi, good afternoon. afternoon. How are you doing? We're fine, thank you. Happy Independence Day. Thank you. In fact, I'm enjoying the program. We don't know your name, though. <laughs> What's yeah, your name? This is Alex. 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 I'm calling from Yankrela. Okay, you have a question or a comment? I have a comment. Yes. And I have a question at the same time. Okay, so go on. Go on, go on, we're listening. You know, seriously, I love Nigeria so much from the depth of my heart. But I shed tears when I see the direction Nigeria is going. 
I'm a young man and I don't know how the future of Nigeria will be in the next 10 years. I don't know what is going to happen to the, the next generation. I don't know what is going to happen because we have the non-productive population, we have the productive population, and the non-productive population is higher than the productive population. We give birth to children without even planning for them. We give birth to what I call an margins, and we export them to other states without even thinking how they're going to cope, mm. without even planning anything for them. Who do we expect to take care of these almagiris, to feed these almagiris we're giving birth to? These are people that must eat every day to survive. And we have few, few people that are doing their best to make sure that the economy grow. And we have people that are giving birth to 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 to, to have eat or get something out of what we are producing or what of what the little are producing to sustain the economy. Okay. It is the way forward. And this is the issue of religion. We must do away with religion if we want to grow in Nigeria. Today, if you're being persecuted, you go back to your people and tell them that it's because you're a northerner, it's because they're a Fulanima, or it's because they're a Niboma, or it's because they're a Yorubama. That is why they're chasing you. And you see some fools ready to carry arms and die, you know, because of you or because you know, of that you uh, life and choice of words. Just go on, go on. You have to be careful with your choice you of words. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this thing is not going to help us at all. Today, if we want to develop, if my father is accused of something, then I should be able to allow him to face the, the, the consequences of what he has done. Mm. If today my brother is accused of uh, diverting money that is made for the, the public, I think I should allow him to face the heart of the law. That is the only way out. Alex, but as long as we are thinking that this one is my brother or this one is all my brother, then I think we have a long way to go. Yeah, Alex, did you say you had a question? Yes, I have a question. Yes. I want to ask the my lordship, that is Archbishop in the studio there, to please uh, explain this to us. Excellent. He said that. Uh, Oh my! I was actually I was actually very curious as to what his question was. Yeah, was uh, but I think before before we carry on uh, with the phone calls, maybe you want to respond to the first two or three callers. Yes, well, I do. actually two because uh, second one went off. He was asking about how much Nigeria has progressed. Um, the yeah, he indices, talked about the coat of arms, the coat of uh, arms, unity because peace, unity, peace and progress. How much that has um, in fifty-seven years? In fifty-seven years. I think that um, we have definitely progressed. Um, the progress that we want to see. Um, has not happened. Um, we, we have become a consuming nation. We are not a productive nation. So when you look at that, we have not progressed. When you look at the amount of people that we have turned out from Nigeria achieving excellence who are outside of Nigeria, you say definitely we've progressed. Nigeria is a very educated country. But at the same time, when you look at the illiterate population, that ju- the figures just came out and it was frightening that Nigeria is a heavily illiterate nation at the same time. So there is a great um, imbalance in that regard. Uh, When you look at how much, again, the Nigeria's economy is performing internationally, it's brilliant. And so when you talk about a recession, for example, it's an international figure. But locally, you just know that we've gone nowhere. We're still, whether it's a recession or out of recession, we're still where we are. Uh, And we're even getting worse. So I think that in 57 years, we are yet to get our acts together. And I must insist, 
it is a question of each state governments that lacks visionary leaders because we cannot blame the federal government for this each state must survive on its own lagos is going cross river is going rivers is going anambra is going plateau state must find a way of its own life just like Kano state is such finding out its own now Kano state has the largest number of female professors in the whole field of education because they invested in education they trained so we cannot be deceived. I always say, is the federal allocation? Federal allocation? No. Plateau State survived in my lifetime without federal allocation. And it could still survive that too. What is wrong with all our state governments? They are simply weak when it comes to law. If you create a state law that says that each family wants to be accounted for as Plateau State, and you insist on it, you will be able to know how many people in Plateau State. I'm planned for people in Plateau State. I'm planned for schools in Plateau State. I have cried about the educational system in Plateau State. I am a proprietor of schools. We used to do so well. I remember there was a time when we mm -hmm. used to come tops. And, and, yeah. and now we are bottom. Yeah. Again, it's the civil service. People don't care about their states. They don't care about their people. And they throw and deceive people and say, it's federal problem. It's not federal problem. We have irresponsible leaders who are visionless, who care nothing about their own people, and they go and tell lies. It is PDP. It's not PDP. It's the same people. They just shift camps. The first caller also talked about population and your thoughts on, on China, I think. Yes, I think that the, the example of China is completely different. Um, I don't want us to go China way because I really honestly love children and I think we can look after children. Yeah, and, I and you have over 50 of them in your house. I do. I have a lot of children <laughs> and, I, and I plan for them, to be honest. I'm not putting it on anybody's responsibility. Uh, I, I, they, they are okay and I'm okay with it. And I think that Nigeria, each state, is not federal government. Each state must domesticate its own law. I have said it. It's a doable thing. And fortunately, we have lawyers in, in Plateau State in abundance. It's just to put the laws on ground, laws about traffic, laws about school, laws about population, laws about um, throwing dump, laws about debt, laws about toilet, laws about everything. The second caller, Alex, um, the third caller actually, just talked about doing away with religion and ethnicity. I, I don't know no, how you feel I, about I, I that. I think that was a good dream. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, that's, a good dream. That's when you remove religion, from Africa, you're going to have no nation anywhere. Religion has played a vital role of bringing um, instruments of peace, instruments of progress, and has played a conciliatory place every time in every crisis. Even when it is the architect of the crisis, it still is the instrument of conciliation. Well, okay. he, did, he mentioned religion, but he seemed to dwell more on ethnicity. Uh, than he did when he was talking about religion. So pr probably he said... One That's because the laws are weak. If other. we have strong laws, I mean, we have laws. If we have laws and law enforcement agencies, ethnicity wouldn't change anything. You go to jail. Okay, so let's take another phone call. We've kept someone waiting. Hello? Hello, good evening. Hi, Hello, good, good evening. evening. Uh, this is Rondon Boshpam on the line. It's nice to hear from you. You have a question or a comment? Oh my, so sorry about that. Phone line still open, 90 That's 90 or 90 We're still having our Independence Day special with Most Reverend uh, Dr. Benjamin Argakwashi, uh, who's the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Jos, Archbishop of the Ecclesiastical Province of Jos uh, in the Church of Nigeria. Hello? 
Hello, good evening. Hi, good evening. Hello, good evening. Evening, Bishop. Hello, good evening. I actually enjoyed the talk. I was listening to a different station when I immediately got this. I stayed on the discussion. Uh, Bishop, sir. Yes, sir. I want you to agree with me that your, your age group did not accept or appreciate, rather, what the nation planted in them. Free education. Apart from free education, they were still paid as students. I was a kid growing up. I remember, apart from the military uh, school you went to, even civilian schools, unity schools, they were also paid transportation if they were going back to their parents. I was a kid I remember very well while I went to school people that paid me were people of your class. Uh, people that teach me rather taught me. Uh, people of your class who always tell us in the class, I pity you people. Because when we were in this school then the Sagaria was running and so on and so forth. These are the same people that will hardly stay in classes. These are the same people that will go on strike if they are not paid. Mm. The school their parents never paid for the school fees. Mm. These are the same class of people today as our leaders, going on and on recycling themselves. Posterity mm. will judge every Nigerian that his parents never paid his school fees. And today, they are wrecking Nigeria daily. Mm. On the part of leadership, I am of the take. All this recycling of leaders in name of political party should end. That is my thing. We didn't get your name, sorry, before you run. This is Lance from Buku Lupa. Okay, let me quickly right, respond you. to you since you he hit wants me you to on, agree. My, on my generation. <laughs> he wants and, you and, to and agree. And I want, I want you to hear me clearly. Yeah. I have said, and I now seize this opportunity to say it publicly, anybody over 60... Any young people who elect anybody over 60 will have themselves to blame. I have said it. I believe it. And I'm going to fight anybody over 60 who's looking for any office in this state where I am. At least this, this is where I can control and I'm not going to let it happen again. Because the most dangerous person on earth is an ungrateful person. I agree with you. We got things free. But now we don't care about the coming generation. It is evil. It is wicked. It is ingratitude and it is punishable by God. We must reinvest in our grandchildren and do so with everything. Because I have seen, well, I'm a clergyman. I cannot exonerate myself and I cannot blow my own trumpet. I will never blow my trumpet. But I believe in what you have said. The right thing is if you have got it so good, why are you not giving it to another person so good? It is wickedness if you don't do that. Well, just he, okay. he made mention of the, the fact that some of the, some of the strike actions are, are carried out by people who are your age. Absolutely, he is right. I mean, it's all evil. Some of the like the organizations like ASU argue that the, the reason why they go for strikes is just to improve on on, on the situation in the education sector. The, the ASU argument was plausible because it was predated to good luck, okay. and it was actually and good even luck. Before. And yeah. even before, and it was good luck who decided that look. We are going to solve this problem once and for all. And they came out with about 1.3 trillion 
amount of money which they have failed now successive to, governments to the, have failed yeah. so their strike is simply to recall them to the attention of getting education fine but i disagree i don't know strike i was in the army I never did strike. I came into ministry immediately after military school. God called me. I don't know strike as a pastor, so I don't understand strike. Whenever I hear strike, I am against it. I don't know it. I don't understand it. I will never understand it. So just before we take the next phone call, I was just going to ask you a question. Talking patriotism. Now, we noticed that in Nigeria today, I'm first a Biron man from Plateau State before I'm a Nigerian. Would you agree with me? Now, what's your take on zoning and how do we imbibe patriotism in Nigerians? Like I said, the the older generations have shown clearly that they are an, an abysmally selfish group of people. An abyss, I mean, it's just unbelievable the kind of selfish thinking. And while it is not wrong that I'm a Biron first before I'm a Nigerian, at the same time, I should not be a Biron first when I'm going to feed somebody else if there's hunger. Okay. So if we're going to zone, it should be a just situation a fair situation agreeable by parties not imposed by anybody okay so if you are from a different zone and i'm from a different zone and christian's from a different zone we should sit down and talk and agree how we're going to share our zoning but if we don't sit down and talk and i happen to have the power right now and then because i have the power right now i will dictate the zoning policy that is called oppression and yeah. it is unacceptable by god Okay, so we have, we have okay, another phone call. Hello. 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 Hi, good, good evening. afternoon. Happy good evening. Thank you. Happy Independence Day to you. Who are we speaking with? Same to you. I'm, I'm Bold Mind. Dave. I'm calling from Nana House. You're bold Mind. Is that good your name, real bold name? Bold Mind. I like the name. Mm. I'm <laughs> Bold Mind. Dave. Okay, you, you have a question or a comment for the Archbishop? Yeah, the comment. Sincerely, I've been following this program from inception, but I was moved to actually make a contribution. Yeah. Yeah, my, my contribution is that I want to go with the, the statement about voting somebody who is up to 60 years hmm. and thereabouts. You know, I, I'm into business. So before I started business, I've been a graduate for like 10 years. Yeah. And in Nigeria, seeking for the job is even harder than the job. You know, yeah. I, in fact, I went as far to buy job too. I paid money, you know, to somebody who that who 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 promised me a civil defense job. You can see how corruptible the system is. Yeah. Having said that, you know, these old people are eating their kids and having it. I'm from Benin State. Look at Albert, who was a minister when I was in primary two. <laughs> and today he's also a minister. Look at the remark who was a minister, and then he comes from another state, and then he's also a senator now. Look at uh, the, 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 uh, this man, the senator from, 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 the J2 thing. He was a minister, a governor, and then you can see how they are tackling the home. So I, I want to support everything the law should have said. And I want the youth. Where are we? The, the problem is with the youth. It is. The problems are either caused or solved by the youth. The, the elders only ask them, hey, the, the, in fact, the elders have asked, they point at them. You understand? Mm -hmm. The youth, we are so hungry that we sell, in fact, we are moving our future. We can push people, these people out of, out of where they are. But we are so, we are so, we are, we are that we, 
In fact, we don't, we, 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 we are so that our conscience, you understand? Yeah. So, to, to me, I think I, 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 I'm, in fact, everything you have said is not perfect. The, the, the line or the path we are supposed to take as youth. Or else, I'm telling you that we'll control to be PAs, even at 65. Instead of God forbid. Yeah, of course it does. 60, yeah. Somebody at 60 is going for counselorship. Which, when I was coming up, when I was in summary school, in my village in Benin State, I told you, Secondarians are the people who are left with the position of a counselorship. But today, you can see that even a deputy governor has become a counselor. What are you telling me? I'm clocking 40 years now. By now, I'm supposed to be having people who are mentoring. Mm. So that by the time I get to 50, and then I become a grandfather, then they can take over. But you can see somebody struggling at 60 to become a counselor. Let, let me then add something to your... Now. Let me add something to your comment. You yes, see, sir. Nigeria right now, 70% is under 35. So it doesn't make yes. sense for us, especially the young people who are listening to me, it doesn't make sense for you to take your vote yes. and cast it on somebody who's heading to his grave. You need somebody yes. who draw policies for your That's own good and for the good of your children. Somebody so, who understands, somebody who understands the issues. The times have changed. Yeah. Mm. I, for example, yes. I don't ordain anybody over 30. It doesn't matter how much yes. God has called you and given you the Holy Spirit. I will not ordain you. It's as you simple as that. You because the young people Some have people to preach the gospel to the, the next generation. It's about the poverty elevation and all that. Yeah. Yeah, bold mind. It was n it was nice of you to call in. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you, you for much. listening. You he yeah. made a very he valid said seeking point. for the job is even harder than the job. <laughs> 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 one of the points he made that, that really got my attention was yeah. was mentorship. Yeah. Now we noticed that uh, we lack that spirit of mentorship mm. across the country. If you point to the governor of Plateau State, if you point to the president of Nigeria, you should be able to point to one person who he's mentoring in my state. In my state. <laughs> Where he, or he, he made mention of, of some of the senators who have still been active in politics for over, over, over the years. That is because those people who you are looking up to were not mentored. They were trained either as soldiers, they were trained in different aspects of life, and they got to where they got to wonderfully well with great achievements. So they have no idea what it means, what it means to, mentor. to raise other people. So how then do we start working towards uh, mentoring uh, like people who are already in the ruling class? How then do we start to work on mentorship? It, wo it works differently. In Lagos State, for example, they have had this mentoring system Okay. Since I was a youth in Lagos, okay. it's always there. You always had a master. Whatever the thing, even arm robbers had their master. But everybody you, had a master. In Nigeria, people want to conflict mentorship with godfatherism. No, 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 no. I think that it's. I'm, I'm talking about what you mean mm. clearly, because this godfatherism is more a criminal thing. Okay. And so they perpetuate themselves in political office. They are all criminals. They perpetuate themselves in political offices and cover up with political office. And so they say somebody is my master or this is my godfather. That, that is not what he I'm talking about. He has influence. So what then is the difference? <laughs> there, no, there is. There, of there course is a clear difference. How do you differentiate it? This is, uh, let's take Plateau State as the, since we're in Plateau State. Mm. Let's take Plateau State. Let us have a blueprint for Plateau State. Let us begin to educate each generation about the blueprint of Plateau State, where we are going as Plateau State. And there are young people that I notice on Facebook and on other fora who are calling for the blueprint that Joseph Gomok had which mm. he passed on, which was destroyed somewhere by jealousy 
and people have kept it there and, and have hidden it. They don't want the name of Joseph Gomak to rise. But that is mentorship. That was what he did. How did he arrive at the university? How did he arrive at printing press? How did he go around banks? How did he do that? How did Solomon Lyle also get to cue into that and raise platitude? And once you cut it anywhere, then you've stopped mentoring. Mm. Because mentorship is a system of how do we build our house. Yes. And then when I die, my children will take over. They will not destroy it. They continue the building yes. and expanding it. And my grandchildren and successive generations, that is mentorship. Okay. And it works in companies. It works in banks. Okay. Why is it not working for our people? You know, even if you look at businesses in Nigeria, you know, how many business, how many family businesses do you know that go past one generation at most Two. I mean, I can't think of too many. It's it's not just cronyism. This is my personal. If if you know, if but that's only in the middle belt. By the way, I yeah. can tell you in Lagos it works. The Williams, for example, seven generations chartered accountants. Yeah. You can go to Ganifawemi, several generation lawyers. You can go. I mean, it works somewhere else. It's just that I think the middle belt brain. Is just underdeveloped. <laughs> oh All my right. God, he said that. Yes, Forgive he me, said, I'm, I'm he one said of that. them. And I have it on record. Oh, Please fantastic. <laughs> Meanwhile, talking about young people uh, and, and you know the desire to have younger people in power, and look, look what happened in 2015. Everybody trooped out, and you know overwhelmingly vote, voted somebody over 70. You know, so, so it's it, the same young people who you say are some 70 percent of of the population. Yes. If if we have that thinking, um, how do you assume that you know? The, a couple of people from this group of people who are thinking that way, who have been voting these people over and over again, of you know, just accepting whatever comes their way. Mm. Uh, what makes you think they're ready for positions of leadership? Uh, well, there are institutions that should help them. Okay. And I think that we are there now. We're getting there close. First of all, they're angry enough to want to change things. And I believe that there are 50-year-old men and women in this state and in Nigeria who are angry enough and want to change things. Excuse me, the president of Senate is not 60. People at 70 are calling him sir. People who were uh, something in Nigeria when he was in secondary school and university, they are now bowing down to him. How did he get there? His father mentored him, sent him to a good school. We could do that for our children. Let me tell you one painful aspect. My, one of my classmates was the defense attaché in Ukraine many years ago. I visited him. And I was looking for school because now my children were getting to a place where I could send them to school. And I found in Ukraine, Kano State, River State, Bayelsa State, Bauchi State, Borno State, had children, Nigerian children in excess of, Bayelsa in particular had over 400 children. Hmm. River State had over 200, littered all over Ukraine, studying. And I had one daughter of mine. I came back and I said to the government then, can't we take one one child from each local government, just 20, and let us agree with the realities of life. Two will get drunk and die. Two will, you know, will be <laughs> deported. You know, it's a normal thing. These oh things happen God. with children, particularly with middle belt. They would get drunk. They see fridge rum and they find good alcohol and drugs. They will, two will die. Mm. So, and then two will be deported. They refuse to study. They get deported. Oh, they do yao yao. But four will run away to America after graduation. So we still have 12 that will come back. Do that in six years. Guess what? We will have 60 children in medical school. And at that time, to keep your child in school was just $10,000. This states have since done more than I can talk. And as I'm talking to you now, I do not know of one child from Toronto State 
that benefited from that. Rather, they would spend $40,000 a year to train one child in England or in America when you can train four. Medicine is medicine anywhere, whether it's India, Japan, or anywhere. So you could do it anywhere. It's a standard training. It doesn't matter whether you do it in Nigeria or you do it in anywhere. It's standard training. But we've lost those chances. Now they say there's no money. <laughs> I mean, so it's our reasoning that bothers me. So really mentoring, there are people who till today are talking about Joseph Gomok paid and trained them. And they came back. Today they are professors, they are all kinds of people, and so on. That is the kind of mentoring we should be looking at. How to, not because I give you five naira, so I'm your master. No, that's not mentoring. It's how to educate you, to arm you, to face society and build community. That is mentoring. Okay. And I think we can do that. All right. So it's, it's, it's five minutes past five. We're oh supposed dear. to have let the Archbishop go by now, but I, I did warn you, if we have the phone calls, we'll probably keep you a few minutes longer. <laughs> so we'll let you go at 5.30 if you don't mind. That's fine. Okay, let's take another phone call hello good evening good evening how are you i'm fine, fine thank you who thank are we speaking you. with we are speaking with tony from just south tony. good evening tony yeah yeah happy independence happy thank independence you. day thank to you. you too please go on we're and listening to our lord bishop thank you if nigeria uh, will marry uh, because the kind of politicians we have in this country now they are so, I think they are not looking that useful. They have, uh, you know, uh, at, at use their. What am I trying to say? The corruption is the bottom line of our. Uh, because if you have what Bishop said when he was in school and the kind of uh, school he went, yes. he never speaks for anybody. No godfather, no. Father, his father does not speak give giving a note to anywhere. Mm. You know, if we can run that kind of country, it will be better for everybody. Forget about the population. Population is not an issue. Mm. Because I remember during the time of Awolowa and Co. Those people who were in politics, the money they earn after their tenure, they go back to their various states and establish something. You have to carry it to abroad and leave the country you make. That country. That is the population. All these people in the city, see them. They are 1870. Almost some of them are even sitting. When they are doing debate, is that the kind of people we want? When we talk of election, not that we don't know what to do. The, the level of poverty is so high hmm. that you will see somebody who came to, to vote, they are not taking his breakfast, and you will see one useless politician with money. <laughs> what do you think? I'm passing him over. That if God can allow, if God can speak to, 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 to as Bishop has said, can speak to people's minds, you are. Collect, collect for them your money because they, they know that that is a stolen money. So if they can adopt that system there, it will be better for everybody. Come to you know the other level as well. Like I used to say, politicians in you know, always when, when, when election is coming now, you see them behaving like uh, Awolowo, putting the uh, the cap of Awolowo. You see them behaving like Kapawa Balewa. You see them behaving <laughs> like all these past leaders. Yeah, just to win an election. They will never behave like them when they when when that when that so when they are elected. So my my issue is that I so much marry the the, the bishop. The mm. Bishop, please don't be tired. He needs work to do. If there is any way he can be calling into this program to before the election, he addressing the mind of. If it is question of fasting, let them fast and forget the money they are going to give them to go and go for a wrong person. 
And even if they are going to go, let them take that money. It's their own money. It's their stolen money. Mm. Let them just go and vote the right person. Hi, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. And even if they are going to go, let them take that money. It's their own money. It's their stolen money. Mm. Let them just go and vote the right person. That is my advice. Thank you. All right, Tony. Thank you for your thoughts. All right, thank uh, you. Most people today being very passionate. I think it's because the Archbishop is in the studio with us. But <laughs> yeah, being very passionate, and he's talking about uh, c- corruption. And very often we think about corruption as a systemic problem. We we don't we don't really think about it on an individual basis, do we? I mean, how do you view the issue of corruption in Nigeria? Oh no, I uh, let me put it to you again. This is part of my training. My father was a teacher. And one of the things that my father didn't like was for you to tell a lie. If you told a lie, he will beat you. But if you told the truth, he wouldn't beat you. <laughs> That's this. No matter how bad it was. No matter how bad it was. Just tell the truth and you are safe. Because he believes that if you the told truth the truth, will set you free. it will set you free. If you told the truth, he has lost every right to discipline you. He will just correct you. But if you told a lie, he will beat you and angels will clap for him. <laughs> Same training I take to my children. But it was baptized in the army. In the army... You are arrested for going late into town or coming back late from town. Were you, what were you doing? Sir, I'm sorry. I came late, sir. They just say, bastard, go to the guard room. So when you do something wrong, even if you told a lie, it's the same punishment. You told the truth, it's the same. So you just say it. So truth-telling has become part of me even before I received Jesus Christ as a Christian. Now, I received Jesus Christ as a Christian and I find Christians telling lies. Christians selling church land. And they know it is church land. Hmm. Brother, I will jail you. Christians stealing from the church. And they say, ah, ah, we are Christians, we should forgive. I don't understand that. You see, the issue of corruption, we tend to think that it's only a political issue thing. The tomato woman who sold rotten tomatoes to me, I went back to her and showed her because I didn't know how to buy it. I just said, Juya Munguda beer, Shijuya. I took it to my wife. My wife said, Back at the Edo. They are written. I looked, I said, We went back. And I said, And you go to Sumunta. And you will say that God will punish corrupt people. Your own punishment begins now. So corruption is a system where if you are going to be a Christian, be a Christian. There shouldn't be no mention of corruption near any Christian at all. Hmm. There should be no stealing, no cheating, no... I mean, just name it. But we have devised a system and have capitulated to it to say, it's a Nigerian thing. I reject it. It's not a Nigerian thing. Nobody bribes me to get their children into any of my schools. I will never take it. Nobody bribes me to come into the job or anything. I don't know it. I don't understand it. And I insist on it every now and and again. So we must agree that corruption is not just money. It is the whole life that you live, which was the case in the time of Noah. People lived corrupt lives. They were wicked to each other. They were merciless to the poor. They didn't care what happened to the orphans. The widows went through hell. All of these corruptions were in the eyes of God. That's what God put together and said the, the earth was corrupt. So if we are going to wipe away corruption, it begins from those systems. Our societies must care for the poor, for the orphans, for the widows. We must be honest with each other. You don't go and tell a girl, I love you. You tell another girl, I love you. You're you're corrupt. You're telling lies. Tell the truth. And God 
has never punished honesty. God, but God will always punish dishonesty. So mm. corruption is under a curse of God. Okay. I was just going to take you to the president's address this morning to Nigerians on Independence Day. One of the things he talked about was agriculture. He said that Nigeria has come a long way um, when it comes to agricultural development in the country. He, one of the things he pointed out, he said that agriculture has enjoyed a divine intervention. For instance, he pointed that 43.92 billion naira was released to 200,000 farmers from 29 states across the country. Now, the funds were released by an agricultural scheme that he launched in 2015. But he also pointed out that about 233,000 hectares of land across the country are used for the cultivation of about eight commodities. Now, some of the commodities he mentioned include rice, he mentioned maize, he mentioned wheat, he mentioned cotton, he mentioned soya beans, he mentioned cassava, he mentioned granite, and he mentioned fish. The good thing is he pointed out that, um, uh, he mentioned that some of those contributions were coming from Plateau State. So what's your take on agricultural development? And considering the fact that they are, they're trying to diversify the economy, what's your take on development of agriculture so far in the country? I think he's, I, 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 I liked what he had to say, but... I'm not sure I'm satisfied because he mentioned just the areas where Fulani herdsmen have not killed people and have not denied them their farms. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. If you look at the rice areas, it's those areas. If you look at the granite areas, it's those areas. But he didn't mention the potato areas. He didn't mention the ginger areas. Because, again, this is where I see that the federal government needs to be very honest with people it governs. I, I, the, the federal government of Nigeria over the years have enjoyed the, the death of poor people in the rural areas. It's not fair. It's mm. not right. It's been coming on over the years. Nobody cares about these farmers who get killed. Again and again, they go to their farms, they don't come back alive. They go to their farms, they finish farming, they are sleeping in their house, and they, they are killed. And you know what the narrative is? They said it's the clash between herdsmen and the and farmers. farmers. And farmers were sleeping. Who is clashing who? Yeah. This dishonesty must be opened up clearly. And if the federal government is going to protect people, let the federal government protect people. Secondly, I think the, the, the president address on agriculture is brilliant for business farmers. Okay. Those rice that he mentioned and all those cotton and granite. You, you know, I was going to... They will never come to my level. Never come to my level. I go to the market, I buy yeah. mudu. Hmm. Uh, the people who sell for me in Mudu are the people whom I'm talking about who don't know where these millions are going. Yeah. So I think he needs, as a president, to insist so that the poor people will also be farmers. Yes, they are not commercial farmers, but they play a role that commercial farmers can never play for ordinary people. Okay. I think that's where I've, I look at the, the president's address. In case you're listening to us and you still want to be a part of the conversation, you can give us a call on 090 Yeah, so I was going to ask you, because you talk, we've been talking a lot about the ruling class and a lot about the, the, the lower class. So, some people argue that there is a very key place for the middle class. Now, some people tell you in Nigeria, we don't have it. You're either rich or you're poor. Um, other people will disagree and tell you if you have a, a, an upper class and you have a lower class, it only makes sense that you have something in the middle. Um, one would assume that if you're going to have the cluster of people that you need, young Nigerians that you need going forward to do the things that we require of a progressive nation, you would need, one, an, an educated 
pool to, to take out of, which is very often not the kind you would find in the lower class very often. You probably find in the upper class and in the middle class. So not necessarily the wealthy, not necessarily the poor, but, but the, 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 some, somewhere in between, somewhere in the middle. What's your take on the idea of a middle class Nigeria and the role that they could play in development? The middle class Nigeria was the most powerful force Nigeria had in my generation. And most of us were aiming at arriving at a middle class. That middle class soon vanished. It is building up again, but it is not a powerful middle class because um, it doesn't take long before a middle class comes down in Nigeria now because the middle class are the people who actually are keeping the system running. But even they are running from hand to mouth. And what is even more significant about the middle class Nigeria is that they are the ones who are looking after the village people, the cousins, the uncles, the so on and so forth. So that means that they're, they, 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 are, they are overtaxed and they are not being supported to rise beyond middle class. And so when they retire from active service, they move from middle class straight away to the poor class. So that is the crisis that Nigeria has. Whereas it could build a solid middle class, and I believe it can. And it could do by paying its pensioners very powerfully. That's a very big issue. Hmm. Um, by paying their gratuity. Um, by ensuring that these people who retire in their 50s, that they're going to go to farms. Yes. And that their farming creates a level playing ground for them to maintain and retain hmm. their middle class status. Now, if we do that we will have a powerful middle class, which was what happened. My father retired middle class, died middle class. Now, it's not the same now. The middle class now are the beggars because they can't get anything. When they retire, they're begging. There's some arguments that we don't even have a middle class in this well, country. Like I said, some it's, people, it's there some intellectually. People, let's, yeah. let's keep it there because it's a diminishing. It, it, the reason why it's not there is because when it rises while they're in service or while they're in the companies, when they retire... They just fall back again now to, to diminish so going, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're vulnerable. Basically. Very, very vulnerable. Okay, so we have someone else trying to reach us. Let's find out who this is. Hello? Good evening. Good evening. Who are we speaking with? I'm speaking with Mr. Mokamia. Happy Independence Anniversary. I wish you happy Independence. I love the show. God bless you, sir. God bless you, too. They come with me and I fear tears of what I know and what I have spoken, which is reality. The missionary of the only based missionary in the times of the Spencer and other Ayako and they brought in schools to us in Africa and Nigeria. And most of the people they live attended that uh, schools, both the primary and secondary school. And we learned how to be honest from the church. The churches I know, some of them establish technical schools where the young ones go and learn craft or work, and carpentry, and so on and so on. The church, the church are not taking the uh, the poor into consideration. If I know that the poor don't. The poor in the church doesn't even attend the church where they pay tight and pay, uh, they pay their normal church dues. Mm. They go out on the street. What yeah. is the church doing now? You are a 
young. Mm. Yeah, we went to that type of school. And then so when we come and we become somebody, what is the church doing? Now? Okay. All right, here we go. We're, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to try to squeeze a few more phone calls if you don't mind. I think you got your question. Okay. I'm glad you got You seem to get it because at yes. first it wasn't too clear. It wasn't so clear, but I, I see that he's talking about technical schools and all of that. Do I respond now? Yes, please. Okay, yeah. I, I think that, again, this is one area that I think Nigeria has not told the whole truth about Nigeria. Because Ajay Crowther started education in Nigeria from 1843. Now, when they talk about founding fathers of Nigeria, they don't go that back. They no. begin with 1959 and 60. But before the government of Nigeria was formed in 1914, Ajay Crowther had been working in Nigeria from 1843, providing education, the first newspaper, the first printing press, the first everything. Ajay Crowther had done that between um, Ibadan, Abeokuta, Oshogun, uh, Boni, Onisha, Asaba, up to Lokoja. When he died, he died in 1890. Nigeria was formed in 1914. Hmm. So the refusal to mention founding contribution of the church is part of the legacies of lies that Nigeria is living with. I think that must not be thrown out. But back to his point, that that technical education which Ajay Crowther began was destroyed in 1975 because the government of Nigeria then took over the education of all schools okay and particularly they were antagonistic on missionary schools and they changed their names and destroyed the educational system and removed the bible from schools of missionaries now from that time on the generations grew to be anti-god and anti-humanity that is part of our problem but be that as it may Democracy is now open to us and nobody's going to, to, to stop us. And uh, since you asked me a personal question, I will answer you personally. In the next nine months, by the grace of God, we are looking for an affiliation with the College of Education, Gindri, where we will start a technical se session um, in, 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 in one of my schools, St. John's College, to be specific. But also, in the next year and a half, I should start a school of uh, technical education, um, again, here um, in, in, in Plateau State, among all the other secondary schools that I have already started, uh, that are in existence. But let me answer you directly. The church right now, um, in my time of leadership, I can tell you that we are not oblivious of our responsibilities to the poor, up to university level. And it is a call that is uppermost in my heart. I, I, I make sure that no poor people who can make it to any educational level uh, will be denied the access to education. It is, that is the case in Joss Diocese. And you can find out from any Anglican member of the Anglican Diocese of Joss. We make sure that no orphans that come our way are denied education. Not one that comes our way uh, unless they refuse. And I don't care how many hundred they are, we will look after them. So the church here is my calling, and I'm not shying away from it, and I'm not begging for anybody to help me. We will do it, and God is helping us. In the last 10 years, we've done it, and uh, we're not going to change. Education isn't cheap uh, to, to be practical. It, it is cheap. not cheap, but we are doing it.
Okay. Well, we have just about five minutes before we're done with this. I think we should be fair enough to squeeze in one last phone call. Hello. Good evening. Yeah, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Right, My please. name is Pam from Kuro. Yes. Hello, please Pam. Go on. Please go on. Yes. Thank you very much. I know. Yeah, I know. No, no, no much time. What I have to say is this: You see, in the church today, we celebrate those politicians that stole the money from government, give to the church. Whenever they came to the church, people celebrate them. Whenever they give money to the church, we celebrate them. So they can't see it as a wrongdoing, stealing from, from government to the church. And the same people from the church working in government, no changes in the church, no changes in government. So I want the Lordship to do something to change that system. Even from the Anglican <laughs> if things can be changed, I think Nigeria can be good. So that's right. a little adjust out. Thank you, Pam. I'm not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I can tell you for sure is this, that um, when something goes wrong, we seize the opportunity to correct it. Um, I have spoken and I continue to speak. I stand for it. Those church people who are sitting on the pensions of people, God will judge them. They will not escape. Their children and grandchildren come under the wrath of God because it is evil. Mm. Those who sit on anything that is meant for poor people who cannot talk, they will go through the judgment. Look, God has done it before. Is there in Isaiah? Is there in Malachi? He has done it in history. And so it is behoving on anybody who calls himself a Christian to be just, to be fair, and to be righteous to all people. So because we have just three minutes, I think it, it would be fair to give you the room for a minute or two to just share your, your parting thoughts um, as we round up the com conversation today to all of the Nigerians listening to you, young, old, uh, just what are your thoughts on the 57th independence anniversary as we look forward to celebrating even more independence anniversaries? Yes, the 57th independence anniversary, I'm 62. So any young man listening to me should understand if you are 10 years old, you are 15, you are 20, you are 30, or 40, just think, when you'll be 62, what will you see? And nobody's going to do anything for you. You have to do it for yourself. I thank God. God called me into ministry at 21. I was ordained at 26. I became a bishop at 36. So any other thing that Joss Diocese has become, including Nasarawa Diocese when it was under me, it is because I sat down to walk and do it nobody's going to build plateau state for you you have to do it you have to get involved you cannot sit down and be blaming the old people use your votes suck them out when you get there do the right thing and if somebody has been wicked to you the only way to stop it is by you yourself when you get the opportunity don't be wicked to another person be kind to everybody and i will leave three principles for you number one be hard working number two you must be ready to serve number three you must be ready to sacrifice when you are hardworking and you are serving and you are ready to sacrifice, I can assure you, even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, God will bless you. These are principles of life that have no religious connotations to it. Hardworking, sacrificial, and serving people. You will be blessed by God because anything you think is going to come out good. And that is the principle of life that I will live for you. God bless. It's been our pleasure having you in the studio with us, Most Reverend ben, Dr. Benjamin Argakwashi, uh, who's the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Jos, the Archbishop of the Ecclesi Ecclesiastical Province of Jos uh, in the Church of Nigeria. Ecclesiastical always tongue twisting. Yeah, but it's been it's it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Sam. We look forward to talking with you again sometime. Thank you, Christian. Okay, so for me, Christy, and from Caleb. Um, 
We're, we're just saying thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you thank for, you for calling in. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Do you like Sonia Kusu? I do. <laughs> <laughs> now or never, Sonia Kusu, taking it back a little bit. Have a great day. Nostalgia. Hello, my name is Chrissy. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season is titled Nostalgia. It's a special independence program. My name is Sponsor Akvanab. Christy Makodi is here, so how's the Hello, boy? happy Independence Day again. Ah, well, thank you. Well, and of course, we're not alone in the studio. Yeah, we have two we have Professor rights. Yusuf Futuraki with us. Yes, we and have. of course, His Grace. I, I finally his learned Lordship. the proper way to address him. Apparently, His Grace is acceptable. His Lordship. <laughs> okay. So. The Reverend Dr. Benjamin Argaquash, you know, somebody that I've followed, you know, for some time. But he used to give us, you know, stories. I've heard his young when he was young in the 70s and all the things that he did uh i've forgotten his nickname but i've seen a video him break dancing he said those were some of the really? moves that yeah well, well good evening nice take your mind i know this is cliche but what would you like a 20 year old nigerian to know with the nigeria that you grew up in the first thing is to take him to the truth of history and that's what i do with my children right now and grandchildren because there is so much of recreation, I wish it was true, of untruth of history that is being told. And some of the narratives uh, are very damaging and very separatist and, and unhealthy to a human mind. So if I have to tell my children anything, this is where I start. That in 1842, a young Christian evangelist, um, together with um, some British people, came down the Niger uh, that took him back to his homeland via Badagri to Oshogun, his home area. 1843, he was ordained and became an indigenous missionary to Nigeria. He designed the areas he was to go. He, in fact, got as far as Yola, he got as far as Nasarawa, Umaisha, Toto, uh, Boni, Bini, Asaba, and he was the founder of the Niger mission that today is the entire Igbo land. He traversed it apart from settling in Abeokuta where he began, then he had to move to Niger mission. Ajay Crowther set up the first missionary schools in this country. This is before, I'm talking about 1842. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, before 1901. So he had built a nation. He had talked with the Lamido of Adamawa, had been there. Yeah, but sir, it, there was Islamic education that came, Yes, of you course. Know, I'm coming there. Through the tip of the Sahel. Absolutely. Okay. There was even 11th century visitation from Maiduguri. So these are truths we cannot deny. The Quran was already in Maiduguri with a settlement of, 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 of peaceful Islamic entities in their mm -hmm. empires, very powerful empires. And then Namfordio's jihad cannot be denied. Again, with Quranic schools. And the clash between the colonialists and other nationalities has nothing to do with the church. All the clashes that have been brought in against the church are imposed by a wrong narrative because the church has nothing to do with counting numbers for politics except that the church has everything to do with the introduction of loving care. Go and check. 
every leprosorium, every eye hospital, every care for humanity, regardless of religion, regardless of ethnicity or everywhere. That is what we are called to do to a community. And it is out of that that citizens who are now educated with the fear of God as well as Western education can build a nation. Okay. Uh, uh, Prof, uh, same question I asked his lordship. What will you tell a 20-year-old Nigerian for him to maybe understand the idea around independence and how pre-independent Nigeria was that you grew up in? Well, thank you very much, Ponsa and our sister. And uh, it is a privilege for me to sit side by side with uh, Bishop Benjamin Kwashi. We share almost the same views and ideas, having come from the same theological and church background. So it's a privilege to be with you. Uh, let me take us back to how we started. God created the heavens and the earth. And God created humanity and human beings spread all over the world. What came first is our humanity, our human identity. It was after the fall of humanity into sin that other things that human beings began to invent. For example, human beings invented religion. They invented philosophy. They invented culture. They invented sciences. But what was primary? It was our humanity. And humanity came first. Our creation came first before everything. And this should be the primary starting point of all human beings. First, we need to recognize the fact and the act of God creating human beings. Now, this is primary. You cannot erase that. For that, we build our own understanding of fellow human beings, regardless of our colors, regardless of our cultures and religion. What comes first is our creation, the fact of creation. And if we are to live in the world, this should be the basis upon which we relate to other people. We relate to fellow human beings on the basis of creation, not on the basis of corrupt philosophy, corrupt science, sometimes corrupt religion. So what is primary is our humanity. So we teach our young people to respect human beings regardless where they come from or the color of their skin because we are all products of God. The second point, there was some years back I did a research of races, ethnic groups all over the world. And I traced them. I traced them back to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. That every human being on earth, human groups, you can trace them back to Genesis account of 11 and, uh, 10 and 11. Now, the history that we have about humanity and races, if you don't have the beginning, then you create narratives that are false. Narratives that put down other fellow human beings or races. Now, coming back to our Nigeria, I would tell a 20-year-old Nigerian that the first thing that happened to us in Nigeria was the composition of various ethnic groups in the region that we call Nigeria today. Our ancestors, first of all, 
created four primal social factors which are important. The first one is our ethnicity, our identity, and our history. The second one is our land, our territory. And the third one is our religion. And the fourth is our culture. After some years, after centuries of living in what we call the geographical uh, Nigeria, came the first people that came after our ancestors have created Nigerian, I mean African societies, were the African Muslims and Arabs who brought Islam to some areas that we call Nigeria today. Now what happened was that Islam came and reinterpreted our ethnicity according to their beliefs and teachings. They reinterpreted the geography, the land, the territory of our people. They reinterpreted our religion and they reinterpreted our culture. For the good or bad, for example. Well, it doesn't matter which way, but they interpreted. So let's just leave the interpreted okay. from their own point of view. After a while, British colonialists arrived and they did the same thing. They reinterpreted our ethnicity, who we are. They reinterpreted our geography, our land and our territories. And they reinterpreted our religion and our culture. The British colonialists and Christian missions in the north were almost arrived at almost at the same time. But Christian missions predated them. But in Nigeria, Christian missions predated even the attempt of the British crown colony to create Lagos as a crown colony for the British. Hmm. So Christianity in the south predated the colonialists. In the north, they came almost at the same time. However, but the Christian missions were ahead of them. The early uh, Hausa mission, which led, later on led to the coming of the Anglican, the CMS. And many Christian organizations, I mean agencies also arrived here in the north. And they arrived concurrently. When they arrived, the British came in 1900 in the north. Hi. You're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. Started with the Royal Niger Company in 1886, which was set up to look at the Niger colonies and trade with them and so on and so forth. However, what was happening before the arrival of Christian missions and the colonialists was that devastating slave trade. Slave trade. What happened was that the Europeans... What were, were, were carrying slaves from the coast. They, they, they used to call it the slave coast. But <laughs> the present day. Okay? They were carrying slaves okay, from the hinterland. While in the north, the Arabs were carrying slaves through the desert to the trans-Saharan slave trade. So we have two slave trades routes. Transatlantic slave trade and trans-Saharan slave trade. The Europeans were dealing with the transatlantic while the Arabs were dealing with the Trans-Sahara trade. Now, the territory that was battered because of slave trade was what we call today Central Nigeria, or you can call it the Middle Belt, the Middle Belt of Nigeria today. That was the region that the slave raiders were actually uh, destroying the people, carrying them into slavery. Why do you think them in particular? Why was that the case? Well... 
the uh, let me put it this way in 1884 Usman Usman after the Fulani had moved from Futajalo and Futatoro in the Senegambia area and they were moving eastward from the west they arrived here in the what we call northern Nigeria and then eventually the Islamic scholars and uh, traders after a while Usman Danfodio was able to stage a jihad and defeated the Hausa Sarakona and imposed the Muslim Amir in different parts of northern Nigeria. So that was what happened. You see, the jihad overthrew the Sarautu of the Hausa people. And in place of Hausa kings and rulers, the Amir, the Muslim uh, leaders, now, today we call them emirs, were imposed upon the house of society. Now, that was what happened. Now, what happened in the north is that Christian missions, they were the pioneers of education. They pioneered medical work and they pioneered literature work. The house language that we have today, it was as a result of the work of Christian missions that developed Hausa grammatically, structurally. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, stru you said structurally as well. Well, they developed the Hausa language and, and, and transformed Hausa language to what it, it is today. Okay? That's the work of Christian mission. So Christian mission pioneered the things that I have just mentioned, education, medical work, literature work, and to some extent, human development. Because there were, where there were no roads, where there were no bridge, bridges, Christian missions uh, made improvision for that. So that, what would a young Nigerian want, wants to know is to know how Nigeria was created by the British colonialists. They set up the Nigerian social political order that we know it today. The structures, they created the structures. What is happening to us as Nigerian is that we took the British colonial social political structures and social order and we're just living inside it. Whether we are making it to become better, whether we are restructuring it or whatever it is, but Nigerians, we are living under a structure that the colonialists have set up for us. Okay. So I think I'll, I'll quickly uh, go back to His Grace for a second. Last time you were here was three years ago. This day, three years ago. I remember that conversation vividly. Um, you were 62 years old at the time. So that, that's to say this year you're 65. Today, interestingly, today is the International Day for the Elderly. I think you both, I don't know if you agree, you both fit into that category. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Um, a lot of the things, a lot of the issues that you raised in, you know, three years ago during the conversations we had are still the issues and conversation, parts of the conversation that we're having today. The truth is, um, all said and done, apart from the richness and the variety that, you know, the history that you have or the knowledge of history that you have adds to that conversation, um, talking about the general structural issues with Nigeria, talking about things like ethnicity or, or marginalization, but one thing I, I remember you harping on was the need to plan. You know, I remember I'd asked you uh, 
you know, they, they, some people think it's an issue of population. And you said, well, not exactly, because you plan ahead. You know, if you project that you're going to have a, a, a swelling population, then you, you make plans. Uh, we know that this, the president, for instance, last month had inaugurated the Etoro Pizza Side-led uh, committee for the Agenda 2050. I don't know if you received that as good news, but I will come back to you in terms of planning and what you think about the situation we're in now and whether you're feeling hopeful. How did you receive the president's speech and how have you received the opinions of other well-meaning, prominent Nigerians who have had their say today? Let me take you back to that conversation. I remember very well because I was happy on the fact that we needed young people to take on the planning. And, and my argument is that people my age at that time have no business in governing. So having said that, let me take you again to my older brother's, um, Professor Turaki's word. And that is that we are operating a structure created by the British. Now, what happens with any structure is that any structure in the family, any family, my family or any family, any structure, the lifespan of any structure is 10 years. Because after 10 years, your 10-year-old child is thinking differently. And after 10 years, another 10 years, he's now 20 years. He's thinking completely different. He's not a full adult. He's not a child. And after another 10 years, he's 30 years, he's thinking something else. He's probably even a bank manager at 30 or in the House of Assembly. Yes. So the structure that Nigeria is operating, that is British created, is completely, completely obsolete. The template is useless to anybody because there has not been any serious work that looks into the planning of the future of a 20-year-old boy in 2020. And I was saying to, to some of my clergy um, only two days ago that the last time any people thought reasonably, reasonably, was about 60 years ago. The old village man, 60 years ago, when I was only five years old, that man was in the village. He's not educated. He's not anything. But he's thinking of his grandchild. Yeah. He's looking at the inheritance he will leave for his grandchild. I grew up to meet the inheritance legacies when I came back from Lagos. My grandmother gave me what my grandfather gave me. And so today I'm thinking of my grandchildren. So we have people who are educated in the British structure that caged them, that has denied them the freedom of creativity, innovation, and, 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 and just being radical with yourself, looking into the future. Hmm. And that's why we are where we are. Hmm. So if we are going to really... Whether it's church, I'm not talking here of religion. For goodness sake, I'm talking of humanity. Because, I mean, like, like my senior brother here said, we share theological backgrounds. We've argued with him for over 30 years. I've read him for over 30 years. I know him well, Sounds and he like knows fun. me well. So we've read materials together. These are issues of truth. And if a church or mosque or anybody, any human being, who is not thinking ahead, is going to hand over an obsolete structure, and once a child handles, a 20-year-old boy handles an obsolete structure, guess what will happen to it? He'll throw it away. And he's going to reinvent his own mistakes, which is not useful. Yeah. So we are cycling mistakes that are avoidable since 1960. So if we are going to look at planning, 
We need people who are passionate about future, who can see the future. And the future is not hidden at all. God gives it to anybody. It has nothing to do with religion. Nothing at all to do with religion. It's just humanity. Any sensible, for example, my generation was planned by Professor Adebayo Adedeji. He was then the director of planning. We never applied for a job when we finished secondary school. I'm not talking about graduating. When we finished secondary school, the whole of Kaduna, its industries, were not built by graduates. They were built by people from GTTS, Bukuru, Potiskum, you know, technical people, skilled people. This, this, this is what made Kaduna a center of business for the whole country. It's skills acquisition. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. But now we're not telling children about that. We're, we're not planning all of that. It's not in our curriculum. You just get a WIAC and all the WIAC exams in any case are stolen. So they cannot even defend it. So the thing is just obsolete. It's not WIAC. We don't need WIAC. We don't need all of those certificates. We need to train people to be creative, to be thinking. I went to military school. What did they not teach us? Photography, motormaker. I have a car that's 21 years old that I put together. To be practical. It is here. Everybody knows it's yet called yellow jeep. I know what four cylinders can do, carburetor. Well, now it's injector. I don't know injector. But I, we were trained. At 14, we knew all these things. We did agriculture. We, that was what secondary schools were meant to be. And it's not only military school. This happened in St. Paul's College, Kufena, in, in Musasa. It happened in all oh, yeah. secondary schools. And by the way, the colonial schools learned from mission schools. This is on record. Because mission schools were training people. And here is their... Here is their catchword: training manpower to build Nigeria. Okay, l- l- let me come to Prof. I mean, yeah. you you br- give this idea of uh, the British Nigeria is operating in a social political British. Permit me to say um, contraption, you know, so to speak. At what point did they British? Because from wh- how you spoke, it's like the British set up this society to fail, not to prosper. If you look at, you know, colonial, uh, his lordship just spoke about the missionary education as against colonial education, that the colonialists uh, will train people in clerk, you know, to become clerical work, you know, uh, go come, you know, learning by root, basically, you know, obey on st- instruction. Support the existence system. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to us about how se- how severe will you want a 20-year-old Nigerian to understand the damage quote-unquote that the british has brought you know as a way of colonial colonialism on our society or in our society um, what i would say here is that uh, the british had a colonial template to suit british empire so they 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 instituted that in nigeria for their own benefit at independence, when we got our independence, 1st October 1960, what our founding fathers should have done beside the political aspect of independence, they chose to stick with the political aspect of independence. What does that mean? The big colonial shoe. Everybody was fighting to enter the colonial shoe, Baturen Magani, Baturen Gona. This, these are the colonial shoes. Okay. So, Rulership. so they inherited a structure that they were all clamoring to enter into that structure, political. 
what they didn't envisage and plan for, as my brother has mentioned, is that they didn't plan how to create a Nigerian society that comprises over 400 ethnic groups, about four or more religions. They never sat down to say, how do we create a nation that will comprise all these diversities? We didn't go beyond the colonial structures to create relevant structures that befit Nigerians, but we copied them. And that's why we're suffering. When you get an old car, you are fixing the tire. After fixing the tire, then what? The exhaust pipe. After fixing the exhaust pipe, the brakes. And so this is what we're doing in Nigeria. We're trying to fix parts of Nigeria that are not functioning. But we have not, we don't have a vision of Nigeria as a nation. For example, you ask an average Nigerian today, what is the vision of Nigeria? What is Nigeria as a nation aspiring to become in the committee of nations all over the world? Nobody has an answer because we didn't. Nigerians, we don't have a concept of a nation. We don't even know what Nigeria ought to be tomorrow. We don't have that. But it's we funny, the president planned. seemed to be of the impression that our fa founding fathers at least had a sense of national identity, whatever that means. Um, I don't know if either of you have an idea where he was coming from with that. Do you get the impression, or looking back at where we're coming from since independence, do you get the impression that our fa founding fathers, uh, people back in the late 50s into, in the, from the 50s through to 1960, that they had an idea that worked, that was generally accepted of what it meant to be a Nigerian, of national identity. Is, th is that accurate? Because that's an impression that lots that, of that people have. That is accurate. Have. That is accurate, but temporary. Okay. Exactly. Because at that time, the most progressive part of the country was the Western region. region. Yeah. I mean, they, they yeah. were way ahead. And like I said to you, Ajayi Crowther had brought cassava and brought rice in the riverine areas of Niger. Nupe, the Etu Nupe was his friend. Yeah. And he had brought bananas and plantain and all of that. So those areas were fairly educated. Now, Sir Abubakar was passionately competitive. Yes, he was. So he, he was the best of all the three. He discovered that the Christian mission was an indigenous mission. It was, it was indigenous to his region. So he found that using the Christian mission to enhance the education of his people was advantageous to him. He used it. He didn't oppose it. He didn't oppress it. He rather carried his campaign on evangelism as a premier to entice people and they became Muslims without any hassle. Mm. So that was it. When now stadium and plateau, I think it was... Um, Plateau team, I've forgotten the name, but I remember because I was young. They went to play soccer in Lagos and they said, you know, no lights, it was draw, draw. It didn't take him two minutes. He came back, he said, Kunchuasa, he built Ahmad Bello Stadium, the best in the country. Hmm. His children went to Ibadan for university, they couldn't come. And mark you, these were also Christian kids. Yeah. They came back to him, we didn't get admission, he built ABU. So he was a progressive. 
it ended Sorry, there. Sorry, he Christian kids. His kids were Christian kids. Or yeah, what I mean, did you... his northern Nigerian children. Because oh, oh, okay. He didn't... Yes, of course. Anybody for him was... Was in northern Nigeria. Was from the north. He in terms fought of that. for the north. It didn't matter whether you are from central region or anywhere. So yeah. he did that. But it ended with him. Eastern region also ended with Okara. The only people who kept running with their vision of Nigeria, which became their own Western the West. region. Yeah. So by the time the military split into 12 uh, states, then again, another vision emerged. So you get Audubako in Kano, developing what you now know today as Kano State. Yeah. Joseph Gomolk in Plateau with his structures. Obemudia in Bendel and Mobolaji Johnson in Lagos. Lagos. Yeah. So when you look at that, there were individual visions. So they knew what they wanted. They knew what they wanted. They, they were able history. to work together, even though differently for their different they people. Did. So when you look at that, you wonder why didn't other states and why didn't other regions catch this national vision like Awolowo had and like Amadubelo had, so that we fuse it together, sitting together to fuse it together to develop because. Amadou Bello started technical schools. And you will find that the economy of northern Nigeria by 1960 was on groundnuts, on cotton, on grains. He did that. And he fed Nigeria by that. This, are, this had nothing to do with certificate. It was just being thoughtful and gathering people together, using the resources that you have. Now then we have another generation that came and divided everybody. Yeah, but because you mentioned technical schools, uh, real quick, I remember you mentioning in 2017 that plans were underway to collaborate with the school at Gindri, College of Education, I think it was, yes. at Gindri. How did that play out? I'm still working on it. I mean, finances came and you know how the economy went, but I'm still working on it. It's still one of my big plans. Okay. And the gentlemen with me in studios today are all, they're clergymen, but each one of them is either previously HND, technical, automobile, or engineering. I mean, Practical that's what I'm people. going to now because I'm, I'm yeah. not recruiting people who just tell me God called them. I want people who can do things to build a community. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's where I'm going. Uh, yeah. Prof. Uh, yeah, sorry. sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he said something that okay. uh, I need to Please go ahead. Uh, re-emphasize that. You see, education, missionaries, Christian missionaries were the pioneers of education in the north. The south was far more educated than northerners. And that became a problem. And so the political leaders in the north decided that what they needed is to change their attitude towards Christian missions and now brought Christian missions into the educational setup of northern Nigeria. And that was how the northern government of uh, the northern government in Nigeria decided to have what we call grand aided mission schools and they work in partnership in fact it was the northern government that actually persuaded christian missions to begin setting up secondary schools in the north interestingly yeah they felt that the christian missions were reluctant in providing higher education beyond primary. And they put pressure on Christian missions. That was why, that was why Gindiri was the first to be set up. And then Egbe, uh, Titcom College Egbe, that is of SIM, SUM, SIM. And then the proliferation of higher mission institutions. And this was the encouragement. And at that time, 
the Northern Educational Board of the Missions was together with the Northern Government of Nigeria. They were in partners. Now, when you look at education today and what it has become, it is pathetic. The vision that you talk about, Sir Amadou Bello, the Premier of Northern Nigeria, the vision that that man had for Northern Nigeria. I read his uh, speeches, Christmas speeches from 1956, 57, 58, 59. He was calling for unity in the North. After the death of Sir Amadou Bello, Northerners who were together as one person, one people, both Christians and Muslims, Sadona didn't differentiate, didn't discriminate between these two people, either a Muslim or a Christian. And they were working together. He sent them to military school, to universities, overseas, and Nigeria, scholarships. They were all together. But what happened after the death of Sir Amadou Bello? Those Christians and Muslims that were friends and are working together, there was a period where they turn against themselves. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. Please don't forget to stay in touch. I'm on Twitter at Chrissy Pearly. That's at K-R-I-S-S-Y-P-E-A-R-L-I-E. You can also find Safe Spaces at Safe Talks 2. That's at Safe Talks 2, the figure, on Facebook. And of course, you know, I'm always happy to hear from you via voice notes or messages and I will be incorporating these into subsequent podcasts. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. After the death of Sir Amadou Bello, Northerners who were together as one person, one people, both Christians and Muslims, Sadona didn't differentiate didn't discriminate between these two people, either a Muslim or a Christian. And they were working together. He sent them to military school, to universities, overseas, and Nigeria, scholarships. They were all together. But what happened after the death of Sir Amadou Bello? Those Christians and Muslims that were friends and are working together, there was a period where they turn against themselves. Why? Why is that? Let's let's talk about that. I, this idea called ethnicity. I, I I want for us to prove to take it from where you left. What will you? Can say? I say this for the record? Please go ahead. Yeah. My my father was taken by Sadona in 1936. Interesting. When my father graduated from Zaria City, 1936. 1936, and became the first headmaster, grade two headmaster. To start a middle school. This is a CMS graduate, Malam J. A. Kwashi is on records, it's in the gazettes. He took him to start the first middle school in this central part of Nigeria in Panchin in 1936. So just just to come from the angle Ponsak was coming from, <laughs> yeah, let's, the, let's, the, the, impre- the impression pro- I get from uh, Prof's, yeah. for instance, uh, his description of how leaders, founding fathers or leaders, however you choose to call them, um, using the example of the Sadona at the time, rest his soul, and how he was able to keep the North together. On another hand, somebody else might look at it as, 
you know, also encouraging that regional sentiment more than a national one. So would it still be accurate to say that they were nationalistic in their outlook or were they more regional in their outlook? Or was that, was that just natural to be expected anyway? Well, the structure of Nigeria at that time was federalism. That is, regions you build yourself and then you contribute to, to the national. And you cooperate with other regions. That was what it was. And it was competitive. He mentioned that. It was competitive. Each region was struggling to be the leader in terms of development and in terms of growth. Okay? That was how we were set up. Now, when the military came, the military took the philosophy of centralization. They established bureaucratic uh, uh, system we call it statism that is you centralize the government unitary system of government yes you centralize it it's and from there with soldiers because it's yes, command they and need control. To control exactly yeah. you know it's barracks you know. yeah. so that was what happened and so regionalism that is you develop yourself and then contribute yourself in the family of the federation what the military did was to centralize the power. And the, the resources. Power, the power moved from Enugu, from Ibadan, from Kaduna, and they centralized it in Lagos. And when Abuja was created, power was now moved to Abuja. So everybody becomes subservient to the central government. This centralized bureaucratic status system of government is what we are struggling with today. In the context of this, let's talk about how ethnicity, you know, has uh, an oppression, frustration, aggression, you know, some of these, you know, ideas have really threatened the, um, the federalism of our country, for example. No, there's no federalism. Yeah, but mm. it's a federal republic of Nigeria. Yeah, I mean, it's a name. by name, yes. It's a name. You see, when, when you listen to what he said, yeah. you should understand that if it is federalism, I mean, I just listened to some bite of Jonah Jang. Mm. Just <laughs> if it is federalism, he arrests criminals in Plateau State. How can Abuja ask those people to be transported? And they were. It's mm. no longer federal. Then I'm looking for the idea that will ask, you know, somebody, you know, within the area of jurisdiction that you committed a crime and then they will take you, you know, somewhere Because we to have answer. a central system, especially with security. Listen, because, you see, we're talking about a, a military system in the last nearly 40 years yeah. that is a central command and control system. You heard him say Lagos and now it's moved to Abuja. It kills all kind of initiative because it's a bad thing. Once the commander says left, everybody turns left. If he says, come and collect your money, come and collect your money. So initiative had, have died. Now, back to the point you want to raise. This is why ethnicity grew. Because if, if it is central command and control, and somebody didn't get, he will say, ah, why didn't I get? Mm -hmm. Then he will whip up his own townspeople. Then they start fighting. And so people's identity that was not very big. And let me put it to you this way. Did you know that the deputy premier of northern nigeria was reverend lot not even mr reverend lot yes okay and everybody didn't matter whether it's from kogoro anywhere they all went to reverend lot and went to Sadawna. with this central command and control system it's gone 
it depends on what connections you have to the center yeah so ethnicity is bound to rise and rise viciously because whoever gets it now is in control okay well, Prof, I mean, I have your book, A Tainted Legacy, Islam, Colonialism, and Slavery in Northern Nigeria. Plato, for example, has experienced a uh, crisis, decades of ethno-religious you know, crisis, tension between Christians and Muslims. And from the way you spoke uh, during the days of Sardar, there wasn't anything called religious differences. In fact, I read from the record that one of his best friends is from Shandam. And he drives, you know, from Kaduna to see his, you know, friend in, in Shandam. But you have kids who were born before 2001, in the year 2000. And they've, they've grown to see a segregated city. They've grown to listen to their parents telling that the Muslims are bad people, Christians are bad people, they are evil people. Help us to, to understand, you know, some of this, especially, you know, religious uh, no religious identity and how is impeding the growth and development of our society in Nigeria? Well, uh, let me give you a hindsight. I went to government school, government secondary school, Abuja. In that, at that time, all over the country, especially in the north, religion, culture were never issues at all. Anywhere. There were never issues at all. You're talking what years now? What years? Well, the range? Uh, well, I went to secondary school in the early 60s. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, that period. What has happened was that something happened to us in the North, in particular, regarding the question of religion. The rise of different, let me put it this way, in the middle or in the early, in the middle 70s, Nigeria, and in particular West Africa, decided to send scholars, Islamic scholars or students to go and study in the Middle East, in the Middle East. That was in the 70s. In the 70s, mid-70s. By the end of the 70s, northern Nigeria had changed. I'll give you an example. In ABU, Amadou Bello University, in the 70s, mid-70s, towards the end of 70s, there was an association of young, young scholars, Muslim student society and there was the other one fcs fellowship of christian students now the graduates of this organ associate religious association went to abu towards the towards the late 70s there was this uh, i'm sure some of us have known they started writing islam only the graffiti in ABU, the graffiti in most uh, Nigerian cities in the north, you find on the wall, walls of this thing, Islam only. What had changed? I think that's the important question here. Yes, what has changed is the no, perception. What, what had changed at that point where you started to find these uh, graffiti, graffiti and, and stuff around? Of course. They went we, to universities in the Middle we East. Sent, we sent our young people to go and study in the Middle East. Okay. Okay? Now, 
while the MSS, Muslim Students uh, Society, the counterpart, the Christian one, FCS. FCS, now they started having what we call the, uh, this, this pain, uh, uh, this thing. Lapel? A lapel pin? Yes, yes, yes. You see, in order to respond to the Islamic... To identify... Yes. And do you know what it was? I found it. Islam only. I found it. I found it. The religions have now set themselves against, against each, each other. other. Hi, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. When the, many of those who went to the Middle East returned by the end of the 70s, 79, 78, 79, most of them started returning to Nigeria. The first religious crisis of magnitude took place in 1980. Kaduna. In Kano. Oh, Kano, yes, sure. Okay, Metazini. Now, since Metazini, up to today, we are battling with what? With religious fanaticism and militancy. And this is unfortunate. That has come. So you now find that the Northern society, during our earlier, uh, during our youthful days, religion was never a factor, culture was never a factor in relationship to other uh, fellow human beings. But today, religion and culture have become divisive factors, mm. particularly in the North. Now, what is happening in the North? This is this. This is pathetic. In my secondary school, my best friends were Muslims. When we were together, when it is time for Muslim prayers, we would tell our friends, please, your colleagues are now, please. When it is our evening Christian prayer, they would say, please, your your, people are waiting, your, for you. They are waiting for you, you go. Yeah. Okay? But today, what has happened? Okay? Yeah. And this is the pathetic situation that it has degenerated today. Today, this is what you find. Who is killing northerners? Are they Igbos? Are they Yoruba? Who is killing northerners? Northerners are killing northerners. This is pathetic. Something has gone wrong to okay. the geographical area we call the north. Mm. And if the, north, if the North does not handle this matter, the division in the North, ethnic division, religious division, if the North does not take care of that, that divide will continue to expand. Well, it's unfortunate. Okay, we're going to pause here, take a short break, and we'll come back. I mean, the program will continue. Stay here. But it would be fair to remind our listener that we're speaking with Professor Yusuf Uturaki. Absolutely. And of course, His Grace. His Lordship, the Reverend Dr. Benjamin Argaquashi, the um, Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Jos. It's 10 minutes past 5 o'clock. At some point, I'm sure Ponsak plans to let you get, get your hands in, get in on the conversation. So please don't go away. We'll be right back. With. And there's a special show. I'm together with Christy Makuch. She's here, and uh, we have two erudite scholars. Uh, His Grace, uh, the Reverend Dr. Benjamin Kwashi, 
and uh, we have Professor Yusufu Turaiki. We've been talking about, you know, Nigeria of yesteryears, and we'll take your comments right now, and then I'll, our guests will go... You know, Respond to some of them. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it's funny, before I read the comments, there's something, there's an air about um, gentlemen like you or people from your generation. I was saying to somebody recently that uh, his grace reminds me of Mensa Otabil. I don't know what it is, but there's something about them that's very... They have a nice aura to them. Um <laughs> So we have this comment from Don Jimmy Akpan, who says, Good evening. Nothing to show us today. Uh, independence, sea hardship everywhere. So nothing like Independence Day. I only witness Happy New Month. <laughs> Not Independence. May God help us. And Andrew Amos says, Good evening in the studio. Uh, what we're really celebrating is the wanton, barbarous, and incessant killing of Innocent Nigerians, corruption, embezzlement, deplorable state of roads, epileptic power supply, unemployment, kidnapping, banditry, and so on and so forth. It's a long message, but in all, he says, um, my question to the guests is, what have they done or have they said to the government to stop the ongoing Christian genocide in central Nigeria, especially on the plateau and in southern Kaduna? So maybe take notes. Uh, for I, I don't know. I have a pen here, so if you would like to take notes so we don't forget. Um, I have this question from Opayami Ojo, who says, Good evening, Ponsak. Uh, the thing is, Nigeria got it wrong both, both as citizens and government. The government officials are official and legal hush puppies. Uh, they're well, very well selfish and greedy people. Uh, the citizens are nepotic and divided by either religion or, or support. Uh, to salvage this situation, we need a revolution. Anyway, he says the change, but that change starts from our mindsets. Uh, Mosea AK says, good to have you back, Christy Makut. Thank you. Says, Ponsak, to be sincere, everything is wrong. Uh, there's nothing to celebrate except bad roads, poor infrastructure, similar to the last comment. He says, well, uh, God bless all of the guests in the studio. And he's hoping that he's wishing that the British would come back and colonize Nigeria again. <laughs> Maybe after that, we get it right. Stephen Ashams says, Nigeria got it all wrong when we started zoning uh, leaders. Also, when the Constitution stated indigents and not citizens, um, the only way out is when we start practicing true federalism. Thank you, Mr. Ponsak, for your prayers for sick people. Principal Joseph Melumo says, the best gift uh, President Buhari can give Nigeria at 61 implement the 2014 National Confab Report, two, obey federal character and stop lopsided appointments, three, sign the electoral bill and give us electronic voting. It would go a long way in bringing lasting peace and unity in Nigeria. Uh, that's from Mr. Principal at Tina Junction. Ezekiel Best, Omiribe says, happy new month. One, true federalism, because if we are a democratic nation, we must practice true federalism. I, I don't know how accurate that is. Anyway, to federal character, we must respect every part of the country, not thinking that only a certain people can rule. Three, restructuring the current constitution is one major problem in the country. We need to write our own constitution, not the one handed over to us. I think we touched on that in 2017 a little, and you talked about the CONFAB and several conferences we've had. Maybe you touch on that a little again. Um, Shehu Mark Ishaya says, Good evening, and good evening to the guests. Please, I would like to ask if Professor has any book he authored about slave trade or Nigeria's politics 
God bless JFM and Happy Independence Day. Several of them, several of them. Really. Prince Jack says, uh, to salvage the nation, we must obey what we sing in the national anthem and what we say in the national pledge. Greed, corruption, and injustice has replaced faithfulness, loyalty, and honesty. Uh, let's acknowledge Dan Auta is, interestingly, somebody's name on Facebook. Well, he says, good evening, Ponsak Fanap and Christy Makut, and to the guests in the studio. Seriously, I can't believe that we just clocked 60 years today, and we still haven't achieved anything meaningful as a nation. Uh, I pray we have a better Nigeria in the future. The programs are very educative, and I hope you keep, keep it up. Uh, yeah, well, there's Christy, quite a few, so maybe we should stop there. Yeah, let's and let, let, let them take, respond. Let me take some tweets. I don't think uh, we can take all of them. Yeah, let me take some tweets. Really, they are uh, really popping. Aaron Fisayo is saying, I absolutely agree with Professor Turaiki. The entire nation isn't working. Sam Aaron is saying, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Thanks to His Grace and Professor Turaiki. Thank you. Um, Aaron Fisayo is saying, Nigeria needs urgent restructuring and total overhauling of our leadership. System because the North has gotten a better share of this nation, yet has remained poor, uneducated, and undeveloped, and has continued to uh, demand more like Oliver Twist. What a nation. Hassan is saying, uh, believe me, you, the best thing, the okay, believe me, you, the best thing that could ever happen to the North is to split, as the North will continue to be underdeveloped. A Nigerian president from the North all, will always romance the South and not vice versa. Stephen Goma is saying, um, your guests have spoken well, saying we need God's intervention. Hillary Charles is saying, regards to the prof and his lordship in the studio, it is evidently clear that we must push the reset button in Nigeria. A lot has gone wrong and a lot has to be done and we must be intentional about it from leaders to the lead. Sylvester is saying, we are not independent in Nigeria. There's hardship in Nigeria, no jobs for graduate and youth. There's killing uh, almost everywhere and every week and no arrest of the you say flan hurts man. Okay. They are giving Boko Haram amnesty, give them good treatment and forget about law abiding uh, citizens. Obidi and Agbai saying the ill fated January coup d'etat and the counter coup in July, both in sixty six, as well as the uh fatricidal civil war 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 was where we got it wrong. The northernization policy of Samadobello, of which President Buhari is a beneficiary, is the reason why we have the same issue at hand. Ramko Nanjul is saying, as a young Barak boy, we're very much as one, both Christians and Muslims, even in the early 19s. But today that has changed completely. I'm really enjoying the show with uh, Ponsak. Okay, nice to hear from you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Aaron. Obidi is saying, we need to sit down to discuss the way forward, as well as changing... Uh, the presidential system of government to the parliamentary system to curb wastages in government. Bashir Abubakar is saying, question to Reverend Turaki. So in your book, Tainted Legacy, you said Christians and Muslims' relations in the North are rooted in the bitter enmity that existed between Muslims and non-Muslims because of the dehumanizing effect of colonialism and slavery. So how can we get it right, he said. Atsen Shalom is saying, for how long, now that you are all at 60 Justin Clement Baraka is saying, well, okay. Uh, he's saying, welcome, Christy. Joe Nice is saying, okay, story upon story, all these so-called elite and uh, so technocrats, what are they really fixing when insecurity is finishing us and hunger? Okay, those are the comments. Please go ahead and respond mm. to any that you, you like before we open the phone lines. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. Yeah, the genocide, basically, Prof. Uh, that uh, well, I know that uh, Malam Nasir Arifat, the governor of Kaduna State, hates that word. You know, genocide. As far as he said, he said, 
uh, since the 80s, you know, every three, three years, pogrom, there will be ethno-religious clash. So it's not something new. But uh, during the inaugural speech he gave at Catfest, he said it is his strong desire and wish to see that uh, he ends, you know, all of the uh, violent conflict in southern Kaduna. Would you like to speak on that? Uh, thank you very much. Um, what I would want to begin with is to recognize the fact that every Nigerian has something to contribute to the well-being of Nigeria as a nation. And also, there are people who have done their very best proffering solutions answering difficult issues in Nigeria. Now put all of this together, the efforts that Nigerians have been making in order to create a viral, viable nation called Nigeria. The unfortunate thing is that all the inputs that all Nigerians are putting into the system, the system is not working well, what is the problem? The problem is Nigerians are so divided ethnically, religiously, and regionally. Each group have their own vision how Nigeria ought to be, and they are diametrically opposed to each other. What Nigeria needs to do as a way forward is for Nigeria to recognize, first, its diversity, ethnically, religiously, and regionally. And what we need to do as Nigerians is that we need to have a conference table you're part of your member of the National Confab in 2014. Yes, I was. And you're calling, you know, for another Confab again. Is, and, you know, former President Jonathan West, you know, used 12 billion naira to organize that Confab. Do you know the reason? I, I do not know. The reason is simply this, that Nigerians are coming from their pockets background. What do you mean by that? Ethnicity. They are entrenched in their ethnicity. They are entrenched in their regionalism. And they are entrenched in their religion. Now, when you have Nigerians but like from, that, so, so, no, matter, no, matter, no matter what solution you bring, it will be a suspect. Prof, since 1979, the Constitutional Assembly of 1979... Most of, you know, uh, uh, public intellectuals like you and his grace, you know, the crystal intelligentsia refused to go with the Constitutional Assembly of 1979, you know, and we're still going back to the same issue of, you know, converging a confab, converging a, I mean, the taxpayers' money will suffer. I'm not talking about that. What I'm referring to is this, is for Nigerians to recognize where they are all coming from. Okay? I'm not saying that it is a confab, because we already have so many confabs. Now, let me tell you, 
I was a member of 2014 National Conference, mm -hmm. and it was one of the best that Nigeria has ever produced. And yet, it was the most rejected. Why? Because Nigerians are entrenched in their ethnicity, in their regionalism, and in their religious bigotry and cultural bigotry. Nigerians are entrenched in these. Unless Nigerians exercise themselves from those primordial social sentiments, values, and interests, and begin to look at the creation of a new vision for Nigeria, if that is not done, all our efforts is trying to reinvent the wheel, and you will never do it. So what I'm saying is that Nigerians have to recognize their failures and to overcome it by having a meeting where all of them will sit down and craft a new vision for Nigeria. If you, set up, if you select few people to go and sit down, when they bring a vision for Nigeria, they will throw it away because they were not part of it. So we must change our approach. You see, what, what is happening with us is that we don't have a vision of Nigeria. We don't. Each one is doing in order to serve self-interest or ethnic interests or religious interests or regional interests. But we have not yet conceived what type of Nigeria do we want to create. That's what we have to, to do. For example, let me give you an odd example. If a terrorist like Boko Haram they come to the table and they want to talk about Nigeria. And then the most peaceful people, let me give example, of some little ethnic groups in the Middle Belt areas. Here is a Boko Haram terrorist, and here is a peaceful <laughs> ethnic group. When they meet together, and the goal is to create what? A conducive society where both of them can live harmoniously and peacefully. What are they going to do? They'll have to talk. They'll have to condescend from their self-pride and their backgrounds and begin to create a common ground, a common base, whereby both of them will begin to talk of creating Nigeria. You see, the problem that we have is that we have abandoned recognizing that we're damn fellow human beings and nothing else. Hmm. But we have invented culture, ethnicity, religion, philosophy, science. And these have become centers of ideologies that have hindered us. We create views, we create ideas that have become gods that separate us from fellow human beings. We need to see ourselves naked human beings created by God. And that is primary. Okay. Well, uh, His Grace, uh, the response, the comment on Twitter and Facebook, do you have any that uh, you would like there to There were so many, I'm very nice. <laughs> okay, so okay. I'll probably what just drink. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have my glasses. Could you tell me uh. what the question is? <laughs> okay, maybe I should read Maybe, them. Maybe, yeah. Give yeah. it to Ponsako, myself. Central and, uh, 
please don't forget to stay in touch. I'm on Twitter at Chrissy Perley. That's at K-R-I-S-S-Y-P-E-A-R-L-I-E. You can also find Safe Spaces at Safe Talks 2. That's at Safe Talks 2, the figure, on Facebook. And of course, you know, I'm always happy to hear from you via voice notes or messages. And I will be incorporating these into subsequent podcasts. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, Chrissy. Um, the killings in, in, in Nigeria as a whole, in southern Kaduna and Plateau, I think I stopped talking some five years ago because I realized that we have state and federal governments that were able to go to sleep when poor people in the villages are slaughtered and that there is nothing more inhuman more evil and wicked like that because a government that has the power to restrain evil and protect its citizens refuses to do so and goes to sleep that is the climax of wickedness and evil the people who are being killed who are they they will never be governed in fact they will never see a million naira in their lives these are poor people and government fails to protect them. God will judge each one of those governments because it's most inhuman, it's unacceptable by any standards. So when I realized that governments, they just come out. This Safkurleri was killed the other day. They said no stone will be left unturned. The stones have finished turning. The other ones that were killed, no stones, every now and again it's about no stones will be turned. And they go to sleep and they eat. These are, these are defenseless human beings, pregnant women, children, for God's sake, and government, and police, and security. They eat and go to sleep. They forget that tomorrow it could be their own children. But anyway, that's part one. Part two is that as clergy, we don't have what it takes to stop these things. In fact, we ourselves are victims. It's a miracle that I'm alive because I've been attacked several times too. So it's not about whether if I talk, then they will stop. I have talked, they've stopped, they've not stopped. Even me, I'm not safe. So it's not, when you say, what can we do? What, are, what can we do? We don't have government, we don't have police, we don't have anything. Hmm. The other thing I will say to Nigerians... Um, restructuring, so what, do you want to make a comment on the question? Yeah, I mean, restructure, like I said to you, it's a foregone conclusion because the structure that we have been operating and still operating today is an oppressive structure. It's a colonial structure. Mark you, they trained everybody to be subservient to the boss. That was the education. You say yes, sir, to the colonial master. And so Nigerians who took over demand a yes, sir. And the yes, sir, is not commensurate to the service that they offer to the man who's saying yes, sir. They don't protect the citizens. They oppress the citizens. So everybody's rushing to become a governor, a senator, and to oppress us. They never see us again. And then they collect all the monies in our names. And when you go to see them, they insult you. They, they, they have no regard. So that is, that's the structure. It's a useless structure. It's obsolete. It's not recognized by God at all. When you are in leadership of any sort, whether church or headmaster or principal anywhere, you are to serve the people who are under you. Okay. That's what you should be. So that, that structure is yet to come to play. And, and, and using the military people, it is even worse because it's a yes, sir, every time. 
Okay. Let, let Nobody me just, can challenge you. Let me just add. Okay. Let me if you challenge add. your boss, you are in trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong. Mutiny. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let me add. You see, I'm glad you mentioned Southern Kaduna. Yeah. I'm part of Southern Kaduna. I'm from Southern Kaduna. What I can say here is that the problem we're having, not just Southern Kaduna, but all over the country, is that we are yet to have transformational political leadership and leaders. What do I mean by that? For government to isolate a human being and say we are going to give this human being education, we are going to train that fellow so that that fellow will acquire the potentials that God has put into a fellow human being. That is not happening. The reason is that our leaders, our political leaders, are not transformational. They are not interested in developing human beings, one. And they are not interested in developing the society, the environment. Now, a country can only develop if a human being is taken and well-trained and well-developed so that a human being will acquire skills to be able to relate himself to his society and to the nation. That is not there. What is happening to us is that the, let me put it this way, the ordinary people, the ordinary Nigerians are helpless. The structures and the systems, on the one hand, and the type of social political values, on the other hand, they are so oppressive upon an ordinary common Nigerian. So who is going to liberate them? They are hoping that government will do it. They join political parties. Uh, what do political parties do? They are just, the way I look at it is that, you see, the way we have created systems of oppressions. Political parties are oppressive. Let me tell you this. They decide who they want to be this or to be that. But that's democracy. And not based on merits. I think that was something that was pointed out. So that is oppressive. Okay? Now when we talk about democracy, democracy, democracy is just a, a slogan. There's no democracy. In Nigeria, there's no, nobody is practicing democracy in Nigeria. They are practicing what I call maybe a do state now. <laughs> well, 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 because of the election turnover, it's, a, it's an election turnover. Yeah. Okay. I know at some point soon we have. To take yeah, we need to open calls. the phone lines. Yeah, zero it's nine zero. It's now uh, five thirty-eight p.m. Yeah, You're listening I'm, to J one hundred one point nine FM. Absolutely, Christy Makuri is here. We have His Grace, the Reverend Doctor Benjamin Aragakwashi and Professor Yusuf Utoriki. The Reverend Professor Isufutoriki. Let's start uh, taking calls. Hello. 
Oh, Sorry we got about you late. That. Please, if you call, you have to tell us your name and just go straight to the point. You have a minute to make your comment. Please. And turn off your radio. Absolutely. Hello. That, that's off got as well. too late. Hello. Hello. Gotcha, yeah. Tell us your name yeah. and straight to uh, the point. Sorry, this is Jotex. Well, listen, Jotex. Uh, I am really glad that I am part of this program today. Um, to our spiritual father, may the Lord continue to bless you. The professor, may the Lord continue to increase you. Um, all that you have said, I don't know if we really have a book. I mean, like a history book that talks about most of these things you said. Because honestly, if I had not been listening to this radio today, I, I wouldn't have known a lot impact. of it. Yeah. You know, the, the colonial masters, you know, I don't know the difference between colonial masters and missionaries and what ideologies they brought to the country and you know, the colonies they colonized. So I don't know if there is a book. You know that one can go to the shelf and get. Yeah, well, there's there's a book. several uh, so several. I'm concern. going to. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. So you have to recommend at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, hello, and good evening. Good evening, Pastor. Tell us your name straight to the point, please. I'm Simon. I'm calling from Nigeria. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good evening, sir, from the studio. Good evening. Hey, what? You know, if it's my. My timeline today, I said, I only salute the courageous Nigerian that have refused uh, to, to, to succumb to the pressure by our leaders, or so-called leaders. But the way I've made my research, and I've seen that, it's going to be very hard for us to stay together as a nation. I tell you this. The best thing is that we should sit on the table, you in your own country, in your own thing, the middle have their own, not have their own, the south have their own. I tell you that we we start from uh, this, if it is so, so that we have a life. Because under this present setting, I tell you, we don't have a future, the, our children don't have a future, and I don't see us moving anywhere. Just like it has, it has been said in the studio there that the people are so selfish to the point that everybody that is contesting for, for a political position, most 99% Yeah, Simon, wrap up your thoughts. I, you said, I said wrap we, we up We have your very thoughts, little time, yeah. so you need to wrap up. So, yes, what I'm saying is that the masses themselves are not even serious people. Because if we have Thank you, Simon. We appreciate your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Hello and good evening. Hello, good evening, Ponsat, and good evening, my Lord Bishop. Good evening, and, yeah. Uh, the prof, this is Extravagant uh, Malobi calling you from Josh. We're listening. Yes, um, the discussion this evening is very inspiring. And... Um, they have actually spoken truth to issues. Let me tell you, Ponsa, if you care to know, the very thing that has kept us where we are today is our deliberate turning away from the real problems, the problems that we have as far as this country is concerned. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss them. 
let me tell you something. Do you know in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, Woe to him who built a city with bloodshed and established a town by crime. Now tell me, is there a city or a town in this northern part of this country that has not been established by, by bloodshed and crime? Let me tell you, let me also take you to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 11. He said that when crime is not immediately punished, the heart of man is set in doing it. To the best of my knowledge, in the, over the years there has been religious crisis in the northern part of Nigeria. Can you point to one man that has been brought to book? Okay. Can you point to one man that has been executed? Thank you. I appreciate your comment, but just wrap up. We need to take uh, more phone calls. Thank you. I want to end. Rather than punishing crime, we are rewarding criminals. And there is no nation that can grow with that wickedness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe this will be the last call so that our guests will have a wrap up. Hello and good evening. This is Pastor Eric. I'm calling from Brazil. Straight to the point, sir. Thanks for calling. I'm a guest in the house. Yeah, the, the issues in, in all of this discussion is to chart a course of a way forward because what is happening with Nigeria today, no matter how we discuss it and read it from paper, write it from books, we will not solve these problems until our leaders and the citizens of Nigeria discuss on a way forward of what is happening. I usually ask this question, like the uh, guests in the speaker have already said also, what is the vision that is an ideology that is running Nigeria as a nation? If you touch us today, if you touch South Africa today, yeah, well, Pastor Eric, you need to wrap up your thoughts. Yes, my, my random thought here is if you listen to the speech of Mr. President, you will turn out that there is no ideology that will carry this nation Thank you. for healing, for despite for many things that is killing us and has bring us to this stage. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, please, you can respond. Maybe, Christy, you have a last question for us? Okay, so, I mean, just coming off um, what several callers have said, uh, I, I managed to watch a bit of the platform this afternoon, morning till about noon. Uh, I find it interesting. It's unusually long longer than most programs, but it's worth your time if you do take the time out. Uh, several speakers, but some points really got to me, and I, I would be very unhappy if I leave this place without bringing this up now. When we talk about um, having a generation, a certain generation of Nigerians that have failed us, uh, Osita Chidoka earlier was talking about, yes, we have that generation of Nigerians that have failed us who enjoyed the good things of this country. But it's like, okay, so what are we, the Civil War-born children, leaving behind to, dif to help us differentiate ourselves from the generation that came before. Um, which brings us to the issue of young people. Nigeria has a, you know, a, a huge young population. where It's estimated that over 70% of, of Nigerians are under 35. Um, 
And so when we talk about national unity or talk about national development or talk about progress, it's almost impossible to come back, uh, to finish that conversation without coming back to the conversation about young people, which is sort of what uh, His Grace started talking about, equipping people with practical skills and preparing them for the future that's coming that they should be ready for because it's their time. Uh, but most, most other people you talk to will say, but all they care about now is Big Brother. So I want to know what your feeling is. Um, sometimes you get the, the Christine, feeling that young, like what young brothers, maybe. No, they know. Yeah, well. Of course yeah, yeah, they. Of yeah. course they know. <laughs> well, he's not a dinosaur. Of course they know what Big Brother is. So, but you understand that because I mean, as at um, as at the last uh, edition edition of Big Brother, Big Brother lockdown, yeah. we, we we saw, if I'm not mistaken, 900 million votes. Mm -hmm. For yes, big, yeah, big, yeah, Big Brother lockdown, 900 million votes. Of course, a huge part of that number is largely young people. So they seem energetic, seem a little restless even. Um, but I, I'm not certain, and I can't speak for every young person, but there was a time when we used to say we are the leaders of tomorrow, we're the young, now, now we are the young people they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of young people are not equipped for the future as they should be in Nigeria. But how do you see... Um, the nature of young people in Nigeria expending their energy on things like Big Brother, do you think it adds any value? Do you think there's something in the narrative of the way things no. play out in their minds that, that let, we can hope, let, you let know, me, look, let, let look me, at hopefully? Let me not miss the point. Yeah. Keep Big Brother aside. No, but that's what they're interested in. You know, it, it's easy to say that. People say that all the time. No, 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 no. But, J just listen to me. Let me, yeah. let me tell you what it is. Can we leave that aside for a moment? Yeah, sure. Let's talk to the young people directly. Mm -hmm. Big Brother is a temporary satisfaction. You don't build a nation or a family with pornography on public scene. You don't, you, it, it doesn't, it's a temporary satisfaction. It's an escape, it's I an escape. think, for a lot of people. So any young person in Nigeria today who is looking at, looking at his future? In other words, if you're 30 years or 35 years today and God gives you long life and you're going to live up to 80, so you have 50 years left. What are you going to do with these 50 years ahead? Is it going to be Big Brother annually? Unless, of course, you're making some money off it. Even if you're making some money off it, you'll commit suicide. Money never pays, satisfies the soul. So let me quickly say this, because it's not all hope lost in Nigeria. What I will say to young people is what, what we were told as 17-year-olds when we were graduating from military school. We were told to look for good officers, leaders, emulate them, hmm. go close to them, read books, look at how you can develop yourself. So if we're going to develop Nigeria, it begins with you as an individual thinking of how you will develop yourself. One of my heroes of younger generation is Malo. Who is that? He's a mechanic who's building cars and tractors in Jaws. Okay. Yeah, Benny. He, he thought to himself, I watched his videos and I was shedding tears and I was thanking God that my father was a teacher. Because when your father is a teacher, you, you learn independence, you learn confidence with politeness, you learn an attitude of courtesy with the fear of God. You just, you just have a confidence in yourself to want to do something useful. Now, when you at 18 are thinking of something useful, at 70, you will never regret it. Hmm. It's so, Big Brother is just an incidence. People introduced it to 
just divert attention. So my first call is young people must think of their future. And here's how to do it. Number one, be creative to decide you're going to build your family and you're going to build it on justice because it begins there because God will never has never and will never ever bless injustice or unrighteousness just wait and see all these thieves that you see whether they are in the church or outside of the church or anywhere they are just watch it's a matter of few years soon you shall see them it's no more see, I mean, the money <laughs> get blown away it's, it's just useless because when you cheat people people's pension they've cried they've died you think god will just leave you no i, I don't know that no. god god is not a lenient god It's a creation of ours that we think god is lenient god punishes sin whichever way it goes but he forgives if you repent mm. and ask for mercy. Then that now you see the mercy of God. But you cannot intentionally make people suffer and think your generation of children. Listen to what God said. He said, I will bless to the third and fourth generation of those who love and fear me and do justly. But I will punish. So when God says that, take it seriously. So young people very early avoid cheating. Don't lie don't steal just walk hard you may be riding bicycle now but the day is coming and by the way even honest people are looking for honest children to manage their shops yes that is, people, that is very true dishonest people too are tired of dishonest children so they're looking for so honesty is a good business okay so young people <laughs> that's, that's so true that. yeah. yeah so nations are built on justice on honesty but also on righteousness because the complaint about politicians is too overblown i mean behind my house somebody passes feces from his own house throws it across to my fence in my own house <laughs> for goodness sake is that done by government that that's unfair that's wrong somebody encroaches into my land and that i shouldn't talk because i'm a pastor how jail you that's wrong <laughs> so, so, do what is right <laughs> okay prof in, in, in one minute you know just wrap up because we are pressed for time we are oh dear um Somebody earlier raised a question about books. So let me give him... Yeah, sure. I have one in let, let, let him, let him, let me refer to him and others. Uh, the most important book that, you, that he needs is what I call the roots, the historical roots of ethno-religious crisis and conflicts in northern Nigeria. That's that was one. your dissertation. No. <clears throat> oh, okay. Okay. The other one, which is very important, is the British colonial legacy in northern Nigeria, a social ethical analysis of the politics and society in Nigeria. It tells you everything what the British have done, particularly in northern Nigeria. The third one is the theory and practice of Christian missions in Africa. It tells you the history of missions in Niger northern Nigeria and especially their educational, medical, and literature work. So that there. And I think these three books, or oh, the fourth one is Tainted Legacy, Islam, Colonialism in Northern Nigeria. These books will give you a very good historical, social, cultural, religious, and even politics. I think that is important. For the young people, what we need to do with young people. First, we train, nurture, groom young people to acquire. 
moral and spiritual skills, one. Number two, they need to develop manual physical skills using their physical bodies. And thirdly, they need to acquire intellectual thinking, educational, scientific, technological skills. If a young person has one of these or two of these, and even better, three of these, that young person will be successful in God's creation because God has created us and make us to live rightly in the, on earth. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I'm going to add you know, one more book. When you're having yeah, one. one more book, The Trinity of Sin. I think it's very important uh, for you to have <laughs> oh, that yes. one. And you might as well go to uh, Missions and Evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's book? my book. I think yes. that, that one also has historical yeah. but missionary push into it. And then there is also Neither Bomb Nor Bullets. Um, which also is uh, available in Acts. Biographical. Yes, all yeah. these books are yeah, available yeah. in Acts. So thank you. I have you know, most where? of uh, Professor. Acts Tra- bookshop. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I have most of uh, I have most okay. of uh, Prof's book, but I'm not borrowing anyone. Don't worry, I'm not to asking to borrow. Don't worry. Thank you. I thank you very own. much. Thank you, His Grace, <laughs> um, the Reverend Doctor uh, Benjamin Argakwashi. Thank you very much for coming. It's and thank you very much, the Reverend Professor Yusuf Turaki. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and I. I look forward to celebrating yet another Independence Day with you both. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Nostalgia.